Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jazz here, and I am so digging the GeekCast Radio Network. Greetings, humans. This is Starscream, and you're listening to ToyCast. And if any of you call me a potsformer, one more time! Now, Toycast. Oh yes. Listen in to the only toy podcast you will ever need. Hello and welcome to Toycast. This is episode 170, and we are officially on the road to 200 episodes, folks. We got 30 to go. I'm sure we can make it because I already have episode 171 and 172 planned, so there's that. We just came off of episode 169 where I kind of talked a little bit about some inappropriate Transformers, and my buddy Steve Megatron and I talked about the Hasbro fan stream for Transformers that was on their Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel January 31st, 2023. Hey, look at that, folks. I didn't screw the year up. I am, of course, TFU and Mike. Joining me, kind of, sort of, almost, as always, is Josh the Floorburger. Greetings, and I'm, I'm hoping my attendance becomes more regular and frequent so people well, yes, learn yes. who I am. People know who you are. It's just that... Half the time I'm doing Origins, and I prefer those be one-on-one than some other form of math that I don't want to get into right now. We are here because you have a top 20 toy talk topics for the last 20 years of your collecting life. I don't think I'm going to nail that level of alliteration that you just did there. So I'm surprised I nailed that level of alliteration that I just said right there. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see me being able to even even attempt that. But what I'm going to do is explain what I wanted to talk about tonight. Ow! Ooh. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Let's move on, shall we? All right, we are back from the impromptu break here on Toycast. Josh, top twenty. Toys of the last 20 years, 
what's your idea? Explain it to everybody, and then we'll go through it. What, okay. What what what's the genesis of you wanting to do this in episode 170 of Toycast here on the Geekcast Radio Network? So obviously, every year is the anniversary of a year, mm-hmm. and uh, so I start <laughs> thinking about it as. We've kind of discussed in, in other episodes uh, a- after my ma had passed this past early winter, late fall, whatever you want to talk about it. The the notion of time hit me pretty hard. And I was thinking about, all right, uh, how much time has passed since various things? And it, it occurred to me that I really I, I don't know what defines when you become a collector. I, I, I don't know if that's. Are you seeking out a number of items and displaying them? Or I don't know when you cross that line from just buying a couple things that you think are cool to uh-huh. you are now a collector. I don't know. I think it's when you have more boxes of your collection than you do your other personal items. <laughs> so what I will say to kind of pivot off of that is as a kid in the 80s, I'm slightly older than you, you know, I had this is why I say I always have the luxuriousness of being born in the year 1980 because I got to go through one year old, two year old, three year old as the years progressed. And as a kid, it was all about playing with the toys, it was all about having fun, it was all about this, it was all about that. And then, you know, you go through your teenage years, your high school years, toys kind of disappear, the cartoons maybe still there, whatever kind of thing. And then in our or in my personal, you know, timeline of things, it's like, oh, 2005, 2006, I was in a job where I was making a lot of money at the time and I found eBay. And And then you no longer had money. (laughs) Well, I still paid my bills and all. I did all the responsible stuff first, but like I was spending, I can tell you right now. Generation 1, 1984 Optimus Prime, 1985 Blaster, and 1985 Soundwave. The three of those figures cost me about $600. $120, $150, and $150. So basically $620 at the time off of eBay. So it was more of a thing of, oh, I remember this, or oh, I'm in this community, or oh, I'm in that community. We talked about, and we'll talk about it here because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we, we've kind of time-traveled in this episode, and there's a whole other universe where this episode exists, and we've kind of already talked about this, but at that time, in 2005-2006, I was just starting to get to online communities and things like that and forums and whatever else, and I think for me, the definition of when you become a toy collector is when you rediscover the toys that you grew up with. When you go onto eBay and say, hey, I really wish I had my old Optimus, 1984 Optimus Prime from Transformers Generation 1. Or I wish I had the, uh, you know, alligator. Oh, Steve Megatron's going to kill me. No. Was it the alligator Megatron and the bat Optimus Prime? You know, yeah. whatever, whatever yeah. it is. Like, like That's back when it was still supposed to be the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, characters. but. Again, same thing with um, with Masters Classics. I had at that in 2011-2012 when I started getting Masters Classics, it was because for 30 years at that point, because my mom didn't uh, mom passed in 20 
15. Yeah, no, so well, okay. So I'm, I'm trying to make sure I keep the, my own timeline straight here. 2012 was the 30th anniversary of Masters of the Universe, or at least of the cartoon anyway, because I know the toys kind of started in 1982, but the cartoon started in 83, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in 2012, my mom was like, here, please take this castle. I've been dragging it around to every place I've lived for you for the last 30 years. Okay. And my Castle Grayskull, it was the original Castle Grayskull, but I didn't have the... The th- it was just the hollowed out thing that you could open up. The but, shell. Yeah, it was just the shell of it. But I loved the shell of it because I the one thing I did have was I made sure I had that, as you're looking at the castle, the tallest right-hand turret. So the toys could, whoever, I, like Prince Adam or Adora or He-Man or whatever, Skeletor, a sorceress i could put i could at least have one figure standing up there and then the rest of them i could just kind of post so for me it was rediscovering toys it was rediscovering childhood that's how i define going from being a kid and playing with toys to becoming a collector uh, does that make any sense yeah i i, I think uh like I said, I, even though I made the joke that when you have more boxes of your collection than you do your personal stuff was kind of the line for me, I still have a memory of, I don't remember what year it is, I, I roughly could guess when it was, but I had a two-door 1990 Cavalier that I drove when I was okay. in college. So it was about 12 years old, a tiny little car, you couldn't really fit much in it, and I remember I couldn't close my trunk when I was moving out of my dorms. <laughs> uh, because it was so full of some of the boxes of stuff I had been collecting in my dorm, which, yeah. by the way, you wouldn't think this, but, you know, it, having toys up on your shelf don't exactly get you the, the positive bit of attention you would hope in <laughs> 2002, 2003. So now, see, that's a whole other like, I mean, obviously, this is your conversation. This is this is your whatever. But that topic, that thing of the. Ooh, you're ew, you're a toy collector, or or the, or the thing of for me it was like grandparents or aunts or uncles, some sometimes mostly grandparents and people that didn't understand it. But it's like you still play with toys. I'm playing with well, toys. you know, you know what I mean. But that's a whole other episode topic that we could talk about. Like, where did this negativity towards going into, let's say, a college dorm room in 2002 or 2003, and someone seeing a Kevin Costner not really look alike Waterworld toy on your shelf and well, uh, and we'll touch on that briefly because yeah. about how I started collecting in college that's actually one of the first points but yeah, uh, yeah. So, so really the genesis of, of this idea was I'm actually hitting a point where I would say it's been 20 years since I started as a collector since I became a collector buying selling all that stuff yeah it's been about 20 years just and my freshman year of college started uh, and I was in this crossroads that some people hit when they, they turn 17, 18, they go off to college and it's a new world. You're out of your familiar place. You're, you're basically camping for eight months out of the year, you know? Right. And a, a massive aspect of that for me was, trying to figure out my place and to become comfortable. I didn't do well my freshman year of college, not necessarily grade wise. My grades were average to decent. Mm. It was more 
I was just struggling finding my identity. Who was I? I was not someone who went partying in high school. I had a small group of friends. I generally preferred playing Nintendo all night versus going out partying. But a lot of the people that were in my social circle were people who went out partying, who hung out, who did all sorts of things that my sort of social anxiety driven sense of the world was not having. And so I struggled my first semester of my freshman year and I went through my first semester almost considering dropping out at one point, but luckily a lot of the right people in my life really pushed me not to and not dropping out, just not returning for my spring semester, not dropping out. There's a, there's a difference. Yeah. And you're, yeah. You're not, you've completed like your first half of let's say freshman year, that, 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 that fall semester, that yeah, first semester, so, you've completed it. You've gotten grades for it. You've gotten the credits for it, yeah, but and, something has changed and you're not going to go back to that second semester at that particular school. You're going to do yeah. something else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I made a couple of really bad choices just in terms of, where my focus was supposed to be then. And they should, they say you should never live with regrets, but okay. So I don't live with regrets, but I just live with the knowledge of some really bad choices I've made (laughs) and nothing harmful, nothing bad. Just instead of taking on a great opportunity, I chose the, the easy and the safe. And when you do that, there's not a lot of growth and that's just the reality of things. But regardless, when I got back, things were kind of blah I was still struggling, still trying to figure out who I wanted to be. And I took a walk one day to go get a haircut. And right next to the place where I got my haircut was a comic shop. And I go in the comic shop. And it was the only way I could describe it. It was called Acme Comics. It was a guy who was a hipster before being a hipster was being a hipster. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. He, he was an OG towny. Uh, he, you know, he bought the shop, he made the shop his own. He, I remember uh, talking to him one time and he's like, everything in the shop is mine. I just choose to sell it instead of it being like shop stock. And that was my first exposure to, um, you know, a, a smaller independent comic and toy shop that just people would bring in kitschy, weird stuff. And I loved it. It was, it was totally my environment it was totally my flavor of of i'd walk in there he'd be showing lord of the rings or star wars or whatever would be on the tvs in there and he didn't care if i just stood there and watched lord of the rings for two hours it it was just that inviting and comfortable of a place but it's also where i started buying figures so i started Mm -hmm. buying everything from kenner star wars just out of the dig bins or i started buying marvel legends and i still remember my first couple marvel legends that i bought were from this shop in 2002 2003 and it it became my go-to when i was needing to get out of my dorm because i was a bit of a shut-in when i needed a walk when i needed to go somewhere i would just walk out there in between classes and for 10 bucks i'd have a bag of new toys and that's when i started putting this stuff and i thought it was more ironically humorous when i was putting them up on our meager bookshelves i the, the dorms we lived in had not been upgraded or, or modified since maybe the late 70s or early 80s. And we're talking about 2002, 2003. Yep. So you had your side of the room. You had three bookshelves, a small bulletin board, and a tiny corner desk. That's what I had. I had – it was maybe so, – So wait. Where did the bed go? 
Well, the room, let's say the room is maybe, I don't know. Uh, 18 by 18 by 18. <laughs> was smaller than that, dude. It was just a little bit bigger than some jail cells. Like, at least I had a closet with a dresser. But nice. it, uh, it, it wasn't anything spectacular. You had a tiny little bit amount of space. Mm-hmm. So the, this comic shop, though, was sort of what made me into a collector. I got to learn a lot from the owner because he knew a lot about buying and selling toys. He knew a lot about a lot of toy lines that were out there. He was very knowledgeable about comics. And he just had he was one of those guys who you would have thought went to business school. But his business school was just his experience working at these places and learning on his own, which a, a lot of a lot of the best comic shops are owned by guys who are like that. Yeah, I, I, I've never really gone to a comic shop that was ever owned by someone who knew a ton about business and, you know, ran their own companies or whatever and had business degrees they just could not run something like a collectible shop it, it was the guys who sort of grew up in it that managed them the best yeah uh so yeah so the the comic shop really became a big part of my life because i would go out check target toys r us walmart i had no bedtime i had no concept of time i sometimes slept three four hours a night because i was in late teens, early 20s, so, you know, health didn't matter to me. And so I could go to Target, or not Target, Walmart, because it was 24 hours, yeah. and at 1 a.m. when they're stocking the shelves, I'd go, I'd have my pocket knife with me, and I would be digging through the pallets of stuff that was being stocked. And I would get the newest, rarest, hardest-to-find action figures, bring them back to the comic shop, he'd either give me store credit or cash, and that that's kind of what I did for four years in college. Yeah. And that got me really ingrained into uh, collecting. And then to jump on that, I had extra money to spend on eBay. Just like you said, I started discovering eBay in 2003. Okay. And one of my first discoveries was that in 2002, 2003, Beast Wars was not a very popular toy line. It still doesn't sell for a ton, but at the time, I think I bought a massive collection of Beast Wars for, I don't know, 50 bucks, 60 bucks. Wow. And I can't even remember how many were in there, but it was almost every single one you could possibly think of. The big ones, the little ones, I think the only one who wasn't in there was uh, Death Charge, who's one of the biggest. Ah, uh, yes. Depth charge. Depth charge fish pants. <laughs> yeah, he was the only one who wasn't in there, and I eventually got him an, 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 uh, another time. But that was my really big foray into buying large lots. Mm-hmm. And so I had all the transmetals, all the originals. I had I, – I don't remember if everybody was in there, but one of the reasons I really loved Beast Wars is that it was very poseable. Mm-hmm. And the later Beast Wars, the trans the the Transmetal twos especially, yep. whether you left them transformed or you didn't, they were a little bit more cohesive. They weren't really shell formers. I think. Yeah. I, think I think you know that phrase. Oh yeah, <laughs> we've been running a toy podcast for X number of years now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean the, the so Beast Wars is big here at the GCRN. Co-creator Steve Megatron. You know, Megatron is his 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 favorite character in Beast Wars. He has, you know, um, he can actually do the voice and all that. I can't do the voice, so I just have a button. Yes. So, you know, 
we know all about Beast Wars around here. This is one of the reasons why I'm glad this is part of your journey because I'm interested to hear, like, you know, I've never, you and I have never, we've talked Transformers off air, but we've never really talked, talked Transformers. So, so yeah, I mean, Beast Wars is, 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 was interesting at the time. It was a. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at some pictures of Beast Wars figures right now. And you can see that there's a little bit of an evolution. And the reason I like them is that I liked collecting in almost a gorilla style where it was. I wanted everything in a combined universe, but I I wanted them to be kind of subtle, kind of blend in a little bit. And I, I can't really come to a full, strong definition of it, but. A lot of the later Transmetal figures, that that's what made up the bulk of this box, were mm-hmm. your Transmetal 2 Iguanas or Jawbreaker or some of these figures that when you transformed them, they typically didn't have the giant chunks of animal parts hanging off of them. They stayed pretty cohesive. And that's why I got into those later than I did, for instance, if you look back at the original uh, Snarl or... Razor Beast is a great example that when he transforms, even though he looks really cool, I'm trying to find a good picture of him. He just has giant chunks of a warthog hanging behind him. Yep. It's a great feature where it's a quick auto transformation, but those weren't the ones I was after. I was after the ones that kind of looked like a character in either one of their modes and they functioned with other toys in a similar scale. That's just what I liked. That was just me. Yeah. But I remember getting this huge box now in, in my dorm and I, I think this is still pretty standard to this day. We had basically your uh, P.O. box for your, mm-hmm. your dorm number. So you'd go yep. down, you'd have your key, you'd open it up, and you'd have a card if you had a package. And I remember pulling the card, ooh, I have a package, cool. And I go to the desk, and usually it was just some you know, teen, uh, late teens, early 20s worker at the front desk, just someone who lived there. They didn't really care about their job very much. All right. And uh, he kind of threw the box at me and I ran back upstairs and I waited until my, my roommate at the time uh, was out because like I still was keeping my, my toy collection a little a little secretive. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. really putting it out there to a lot of people. It was I had a couple figures on my shelf, but I did know that, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a freshman in college. If a girl happened to randomly walk into my room, I don't want them to think that. You know, like, oh, this is not a guy I want to talk to. You know, <laughs> there, there it is. Yes, exactly. And so a lot of those figures I had intended to take home to do outdoor toy fo- photography with because I had a huge yard. It wasn't it, like in my current house. I don't really have a spot that I can take a picture where you don't see a man-made object like a fence or patio table or my house. But in my old house, I had this huge backyard and tons of wilderness. So you could easily, easily find a spot that you would not see a a man-made object Mm -hmm. for anything. So that was my original intent. And we'll get to it later where I I plan things in depth but never get to them. But when I I got the, the uh, the Beast Wars figures... It wasn't really even so much that I like Transformers. They just were really, really good figures, and they right. were cheap and easy to come by. And 
it was even before I was really going to stores at, at the time. I was very much still just getting little things here and there at comic shops. I wasn't going to Walmart because I was a freshman in college or sophomore in college. I didn't have easy access to go to Walmart yet. I didn't have my car down at school yet. Yeah. So Beast Wars was a, a very much a gateway uh, into buying online. And we'll come back to that later because looking for that huge lot got me into looking for lots of other older figures that were still cheap, which are not cheap anymore, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, no. So let's fast forward a little bit to the end of 2003. Yes, the Action Figure Fellowship. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Way to sound excited. Hello, I'm thinking Fellowship. I'm thinking his 111st birthday. I'm thinking there's one ring. That's why I said, oh, Lord. So... I'm trying to keep a lot of these anecdotes and these stories short. When I first went to college, when I was a freshman, one of the first things, uh, one of the last things my mom bought me before I went off to college was the VHS of Fellowship of the Ring. And I can't tell you how many times my freshman year I tried to watch that and failed. (laughs) Can't even begin to tell you how many times I would watch it, I would fall asleep. I don't know what it was. I don't. I didn't know if it was the accents. I'm not even sure. I was just not a sophisticated young man at that point. And I go over to the comic shop. I go over to Acme Comics. And like I had mentioned that he was showing Lord of the Rings one day. He was showing a bootleg DVD of The Two Towers. Because in December of 2003, that's when it had come out. Yep. So he was showing a, a bootleg version. And it was the Helm's Deep Battle. And I had never seen anything like that in cinema before. I was immediately taken with this movie and I was I I realized I have the VHS. I have the first movie. I'm going to go home during break and watch this. So that's what I do. So I go home during break and I watch Fellowship of the Ring and loved it. And I went up to theaters and saw The Two Towers. And then I go to the toy uh, the toy stores. I go to Target. I go to all those different places and I see the toys that were available for this and they were incredible mm. the toy line if you've ever seen some examples of it uh, is very detailed has a lot of paint apps it has a lot of sculpted details that you don't really see in a lot of toys at that time at that price point now we would later find out from scott Knightlick that the reason why those that toy line was so cheap and so plentiful and so unique was because Toy Biz was not paying their factories. Yeah, that's not good. No, not good. Uh, and so I really got into it. it the, the toys were affordable. They were $6.99, $7.99, I think. And you got a lot with them. And I got vibes of the Kevin Costner uh, – <laughs> God, I'm I'm saying uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, what world? Deep, excuse me. Oh right, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot of vibes of that. Not like not because of the soft goods, but because the Robin Hood figure came with a bow and a bunch of loose arrows, and yeah. so did Legolas, and so did a lot of other characters. So I started buying up that line. It was cheap, it was easy to find, it was plentiful, and it was very exciting. So I'm getting ready to go back to school. And I'm adjusting better. I'm doing better. I'm, I'm more focused on school and, and, and having a better time. And I decided I wanted to create 
a fellowship of my own because I didn't have all the figures from Lord of the Rings because even though they're were, they were plentiful, you couldn't just go out and buy the entire fellowship of nine. I don't remember who the nine was, but I remember creating my own fellowship of nine figures, both of vintage and modern, that would always travel to and from school with me. And I think at this point I did have my car, so I went back and forth very often. And it was just my own little secretive thing. I didn't go and tell people about it. It was just my secretive thing that they would come out. I would put them on my shelf while I was in a different dorm room at this point, a different building. And they were the only nine that I had down there. But when I would get new toys from the comic shop or from the Toys R Us down there, they were basically, they would kind of hang out with the new toys. I'd drive home. Everything would go with me. I'd bring I'd leave the new ones up at home and then I would come back with the nine and go back and forth like that. They're, they were basically there to to guide these figures in my headcanon back and forth. So I just had this massive headcanon of of this journey while I was at school, which sounds kind of ridiculous. But it's also what allowed me to sort of cope and keep uh, an idea of optimism for the things I was doing and give purpose. And it was my own little secretive thing. Now. Was that normal for a college and sophomore at the time? Probably not. Do I care anymore? Not really. Yeah. I mean, we're 20 years out of college at this point. So, you yep. know, your history is your history and what happened is what happened. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no going back and changing, you know, where that history has led you to today. But it's interesting to see and hear how, you know, this journey has gone for you. So this action figure fellowship thing, this was just you with, you know, creating your style at the time. Yeah. And I I think and I know we've talked before where I've always had this sort of headcanon. I've always had this um, Mm -hmm. this running narrative in, in my brain of characters in this larger universe. And that was sort of the the major guiding factor for me when I was doing a lot of collecting back then was mm-hmm. I'm building this common scale universe that Beast Wars was still part of. Marvel Legends were part of. Muppets were part of. What else did I collect back then? Lord of the Rings was part of. All of those figures were all part of this common shared universe that I was, and we'll talk about this in a bit, yep. writing uh, a figure comic for. Yes. And I would go through some spare time in classes and jot down notes of cool story ideas and these weird crossovers. And when I'd be hunting down new toys, I would alter the story to to work in these new characters that would be introduced. And I still have at least one or two notebooks filled with all these ideas and all these things I was writing down that in my head, I'm going to go home over summer break and that's what I'm going to spend all my time doing. Now, did I? <laughs> No, not in the least. I mean, if you still have them, you should scan them in and like turn them into Word documents or something so you have a digital copy of them just to see if you could go back and try to figure out something. That would be kind of cool to see, you know, what you would write from back then to today. I mean, some of it is probably still very possible. Some of it, it's not because I've sold a lot of the originals. Right. I had a lot of the Street Fighter figures from, I think it was like SOTA or Soda or whatever they're called. And they made up a large chunk. And I sold a bunch of those because those peaked in value at one point. And I decided, oh, I'm going to sell them all. Yeah. 
but, but I mean, we now live in the age, and we have been living in the age of the internet. You could go on, like, if you've already had, if you already have stuff written, you could go online and look at a picture of the thing, and you know what I mean, like, not necessarily updating it, but like going back to it and seeing what you can, like, I don't know, whatever. It's your, it's your stuff, so. So 2004, start of Build-A-Figures and 6-inch figures. So I think this is just one of the biggest switches for me as a collector. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of collectors in general was the introduction of the Build-A-Figure. And I still remember being excited for, uh, I believe it was Marvel Legends Series 9 with the original Galactus. And if you look at the lineup for Marvel Legends Series 9, and this is actually when they used to, to number them and they were big deal mm-hmm. and it was exciting and it there wasn't as much cohesion between figures in a wave as there is now so if you look at marvel legend series 9 and i can't really find the release here it's either 04 or 05 it's uh marvel deathlock bullseye gray hulk or green hulk depending on the variant you found and then uh, uh, Bullseye, you could either get a scowling or a grinning variant. That was about all there was. You could get – it really still holds up to this very day. Nightcrawler, a Doctor Strange, War Machine, and Professor X. And they each came with a piece to make Galactus. And the Bullseye figure actually would go on to become one of the more standard base bodies for a lot of later figures because it's a pretty good uniform uh, male base body. Right. But in my headcanon, it was, why are these seven characters, with one of them essentially being a villain, coming together to fight off this new giant being who was coming to destroy or control all of the other toys? <laughs> That's the, That was the chapter that got worked in. I would tell you that if I saw those in the stores without collecting, I'd, I, I don't even know if I'd even consider buying any of them. Mm. Uh, they were not terribly interesting to me, but the interest came from why are these nine together and they come with this giant figure, which was very uncommon at the time to get a figure that that was that big and that poseable. So, and I believe I had the silver surfer figure out and I knew that Galactus and silver surfer went together. So I thought, you know what? This just makes sense. I should just get it. And I remember really saving up, having to work, and really, really being scared about buying such a large chunk of figures. I think seven figures at the time plus shipping. Oh, wow. Well, it was God, it was like $90 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it now, I mean, with figures peaking at almost 25 bucks a pop right now. Yeah, like, it's over that 100 was, That was a bargain at the time. Oh, absolutely. It was a bargain. Hell yeah. And... The, the whole Build-A-Figure concept really changed collecting, I think, yeah, for anybody who likes comic figures. Because you no longer were just cherry-picking. There was yeah. no reason to buy everything. Yeah. And that was always the problem with Marvel Legends prior to this series, where you'd have the, the chase figures that would always get bought up, the single-pack figures that would always get bought up, and then on the shelf you would just have 52 Wolverines. Yeah. And, Pretty much, and because of that, they would never restock because most stores don't really restock until they get empty or they sell a certain amount, mm-hmm. and then they restock after that. 
so after this was, I think uh, the Sentinel came out after this, which was just a, an amazing figure and still holds up, I think, to this day, the the Marvel Legends 10 Sentinel. And it was the same thing. Uh, the same, the series at that point, you would think was going to be very X-Men heavy. Let me yeah. go ahead and pull that one up. And images, give me the images. That one was kind of X-Men heavy in that it had Cyclops, Angel, Mr. Sinister, Omega Red, and Mystique, but then it had a really cool Black Panther and a first appearance Spider-Man. And at the time, not a ton of Spider-Man figures out there that were that posable, that good. And for me, I I bought several of the Black Panthers because not only because I had black cats and it just kind of worked out, (laughs) but it looked like it was going to be a very easy Batman Beyond custom. (laughs) <laughs> so I actually had started the process one had had bought them started uh, painting them it was my own interpretation of Batman Beyond and it was it was kind of exciting the overall series was great the figures in it were all really well done Mystique was a, a bit of a letdown but mm-hmm. the the Sentinel was amazing and those Sentinel pieces were as good as like currency in prison I could trade a leg for a sentinel for anything I wanted. A torso for a sentinel, I could I could go and put that in one of the the uh, trade threads in some of the forums I was in. You yeah. say you had the the torso, whoo doggy, you could. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I, I I probably could have gotten a kidney for that, you know. And yeah. it it really changed the way people traded. It changed the way people collected and hunted, and it it just ballooned for me at that point. And that Sentinel, I hung on to, I sold him in maybe 2014, 2015. I hung on to him for almost 10 years and he was still in demand 10 years later. And there's not a lot of toys that do that. If you think about it, there's not a ton of toys that 10 years later, people are still saying, yeah, I'll drop 150 bucks on that. Yeah. So they would take a break. Marvel legends would in tw- uh, for series 11. Um, because it was the legendary writers, so it was it was a another random grouping of of characters, and they all had a vehicle. Which I'm looking at one is Marvel Legends uh, Vengeance, who is a Ghost Rider villain right. character. I don't know, and he comes with a full size motorcycle, and you can still buy that for ten bucks at retail. Oh, wow. Now that would be considered a deluxe figure at 35, 40 bucks, 50 bucks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There was a Wolverine in that series who came with a motorcycle. Same thing. All of these characters came with large size vehicles for 10 bucks. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing for the time and still is. And then in 12, what did they go back to in 12? I think I was out out of college by the time they got to 12. What did I do here? They're not even numbering it. They're not even numbering it anymore. <laughs> but the they would start shrinking down some of their their waves. They would start shrinking down their build of figures. They couldn't do the giant Sentinel anymore. The the costs were going up. I think this was getting closer to when the economy was starting to change and and not work out for everybody. But regardless, it was that was a huge moment for me because it was no longer. I'm just going to buy the Magneto or I'm just going to buy the one Iron Man. Now it's 
oh, well, I can't just have this random body part. What am I going to do with it? I have to buy the whole series and make it and work that into what I'm doing. So that, that, that was one of those really big moments. So as I mentioned, one of the next big things was, holy cats, me running, writing all of these comics, these fiction stories about crossovers of evil toys that were trying to dominate the toy world and all these <laughs> things and having battles between Superman and He-Man. And, and I, I did experiment with some pictures of characters and a lot of it was in my backyard using that whole space. I think it actually started, it had its genesis in, I'm using that phrase that you use, so I'm going to use it from now on now. What? Had that genesis in. Where, where did oh. That, well, that's the view. Like... No, it's fine. It's fine. So it, it started to me running a tournament in a, uh, in a toy forum of okay. characters at that time and just what would who, who people would think would win. So it was He-Man versus Superman. And then people are asking, oh, are we saying Superman from the comics or Superman the toy? I'm like, I don't know, dude. I'm just putting these two together because they're going to go out and take pictures of them. I'm not sure. What do you want me to do? Yeah. And so it started with he, uh, He-Man versus Superman, and then Superman versus Juggernaut, and uh, Aragorn versus the Punisher, and Legolas versus Hawkeye. And I, I, I probably still have these pictures saved somewhere. And that would eventually develop into these massive stories. And the the two guys who own the comic shops I would go to a lot, one back at school and one back up here, the guy who runs the one up here is still actually he still owns it now to this very day so 20 years later he still owns the same place cool. but he knew my buying habits were based on wanting to write these stories and what i was trying to figure out and you kind of always make fun of it because he's like hey when you get it done if you if you get something published let me know and you know maybe i'll put it up here at the shop for people to check out and i was like okay cool but never happened mm-hmm. and then i would do wrestling figure federations which is not uncommon with people who collect wrestling figures where you create your own little wrestling company. And I would write weekly matches and stories. And I had pages full of just, you know, if I had my own weekly wrestling show, I would have had it booked and solid for a year with matches that I was going to take pictures of and post and do all the fun things with. Right. And for some reason I could write these out for for days and I had so much fun doing it. But if you ever try to say, Hey Josh, why don't you sit down and, and take some of the pictures? Nope. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I just, I, I couldn't sit down and focus long enough beyond like one match or two. And so I never really found a method that worked for me to take the pictures, to post them somewhere, to edit them, to do all those things. I never really found that process that worked, mm-hmm. which you probably have a process for editing shows and, and getting stuff written and processed in an orderly fashion. I never found that. So and, it took, I'm going to interrupt you here because yeah. you're, you're, you're talking about me and, and it's been a while since people have talked about me. So, <laughs> uh, for me, it's taken, well, like, we don't have to, if you don't want to, ah, <laughs> I'm kidding. I know. So for me, like with podcasting, it's, I just December 12th was my 14th anniversary of doing a podcast. June 1st of this year will be 
50 yeah yeah because i'm now in year 15 the network yeah so this year on june 1st the geekcast radio network will be 14 years online and then later in december of this year i'll celebrate 15 years and in all that time it's taken me like how to figure out what to do like for me it's all about the opening and the closing of the show yes it's also about the content so you know if I were to post this script that we have here for this episode of Toycast that we're doing, people would see the intro, they would see the breakdown of years of, of your stuff, and then they would see the outro. For me, it's all about the opening and closing of the show. So people heard in the beginning of me, of the show me saying where, like before we hit, like when we hit record, and I know this is going way off topic, but whatever but it's one of those things where there there ends up t- tangents on podcasts or podcasts are rife with tangents so this is a tangent so at the beginning of this episode people would have heard me do the intro normally when i say okay josh or okay this person or okay that person are you ready i will hit record i will give myself like i don't know 10 seconds 20 seconds whatever i may you know wake up wake up I may slap myself, I may take a drink, I may do something, and then I will go into... Hello and welcome to an all new generation of Toycast as we get the okay, origins. You, 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 know, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, and like, you just scared oh, me a little bit there. Sorry. Well, that, that's that's <laughs> again, the point is to bring the audience in, and it's taken me fourteen to fifteen years to learn that. And at the end of the show, which people will hear later, but I'll do it just really quickly now, where it's like, okay. Josh, that's your history, and we're gonna go to a quick ad break. We're gonna come back to close the show, and then I'll go into thank you for joining us here on the Geekcast, Radio or Toycast, or whatever the hell it is. So for me, that learning process, like you're saying, like you've never had, it's taken me 15 years to perfect my quote-unquote showmanship or personality on a podcast. You know what I mean, like. You know, we're up to you talking about the Build-A-Figures and writing the comic fiction, and we're about to go into forum stuff, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But, like, the the writing comical figure fiction and figure fads that never happened, it's like, oh, this is a cool topic where we just talked about the the start of your Build-A-Figure and six-inch figures, and now it's like, okay, we're going to go into this. So I'll say something like, hey, Josh. Tell us all about your comical written universe kind of thing. So it's all about presentation, performance. And, oh no, no, I know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, and, and and you said that you just seem. It seems like you don't have that kind of concentration, but you excel in other areas. Like, yeah. Again, it, it, like you, you'll 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 bring me an idea. Like this idea specifically. You were like, hey, I want to do this, and I'm like, okay give me a timeline and, and topics you want to talk about, I will put it in order and I will do whatever it has to be done to make sure it sounds, you know, the way it's supposed to sound. Kind yeah. Of thing, so. And it, I guess for me, it just was maybe because I was younger, maybe because I was a scattered brain and still am, but just now I understand the, the benefit of having a predictable routine this is how you do things. This is the structure you use and you stick to it. And it's, it's, it's valuable. I just didn't have that discipline at the time. And so, you know, I would always have these grand ideas, these big stories, and I'd be buying up figures to, to do X, Y, and Z. I don't really do that 
anymore. I mean, I kind of I, I still have fun with it every so often in, in my head. But now if I'm collecting, it's not necessarily about I'm creating this vast world. It's I think it's more of just I'm collecting as an expression of some theme I'm going for. But we're going to move on and we're going to keep some of these a little bit brief as much as we can. So the next one is is me discovering online forums and communities therein. And there was a small forum or small community in the superherohype.com. I think it was at one point Spider-Man hype or something like that. Jumping into this forum and seeing other people, like-minded people, talking about the same thing as me. And it was my first foray into message boards like that and becoming active. And there were maybe 10 or 15 of us who were actually very active. And I, I, I won't ever forget just the experience I had getting to know some of these people, hearing their stories. This was basically social media before Facebook oh, yeah. and everything took off. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Forums are, you know, people will always say, oh, forums, they're rife with idiots. And then they are. They Sometimes they are. But, like, forums were social media back then. It was all about getting on your computer and logging in and checking. Like, if you left a, 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 a thread or a comment or a post – the night before, getting up in the morning and checking it first thing to see if anyone replies—it's all about the conversation yeah. you're having with people online. Yeah, and people were active enough that it wasn't necessarily oh you had to wait a couple hours. There were some people who sat there and treated it a bit like a chat, which was pretty yeah. Cool. And I I got to really know some people who I I still talk to one person very regularly from those days. So it's been almost twenty years, mm-hmm. and I remember when I first started talking to him. He he had little kids or a kid on the way, and now his kids are off to college and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely fascinating to me to know, wow, I've been in this that long, and like this guy has kids who are now the age we were almost at when we first started talking. Yeah. And so he worked a night job, and I was just a night owl. I didn't really go to bed. Yeah. And so he would be up, and he worked a – he, I think he worked like the front desk for a emergency room. So there'd mm-hmm. be some nights he'd be obviously very busy and some nights it would be very slow. Right. And because he had that ability, he and I became collecting allies and he would be able to get up. I would be able to go check stuff late at night and he'd be able to check stuff first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. So together we started running these massive trades. His name is Froy. F-R-O-Y. His name is Froy, and so we started working massive trades and really getting to know each other really well, sharing ideas, writing to each other, and I think I probably – I mean I would call him a pen pal, but we really got to know each other. We actually were talking uh, quite a bit. I see what you're doing there in the, in the script right now. Uh, Don't. <laughs> stop it. And uh, so – that forum would also then lead me to the foosh and other forums and really getting out there and and learning. That's where I got to learn a lot more about the toy industry and toy collecting as a whole of being exposed to other people who were very focused on this. And this is still when collecting was very niche. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't it, popular. Pops weren't a thing yet. And oh, no, that didn't start till much, much later. But the thing is, 2004, 2005, 2006, that was the beginning that was the the moments of the 
us as an online community, like you said, finding like-minded people to have discussions with, to have these pen palish types things where we are, you know, m- you know. Yeah, and it's a lot different. So as as kids in the eighties, we didn't have the internet. We had you know the telephone, or we had letters, or we had you know whatever. Or we would just, if if they were close enough, we would just walk to our friends' houses. And we actually hung out with people in real life. Like, I went over to my friend's house where he wouldn't let me play with his Soundwave figure or whatever kind of thing. In 2004 and 2005, that all changed as we were, was I 25? Yeah, 25, 2005. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28 years old, 2005, 2008. That was the beginning of all of us finding each other in these online communities and connecting. And like you said, like, like I already said, repeated once, like-minded people to discuss toys or movies or music or video games or whatever that's when the online communities kind of started happening yeah was in those and, years. and the nice thing was is that when it came to finding figures is that i had other people we created a network and i'm looking at some other marvel legends that were coming out at the time that were incredibly hard to find the variants the chases and stuff and having these other people out there that knew that I was dependable, that I would help them out when I could, it, that's how I'm, I'm looking at some of the prices. If you go to Action Figure 411, they do an okay job having an average. I don't know how current the average prices are on some of these figures, but I'm looking at some of the some of the Marvel Legends that used to shoot for 150, 200 bucks that are now down to like fifteen dollars and twenty five cents, but I in these forums, I also got to correspond with. Uh, he was one of the guys on Toy Biz Marvel Legends. I think he still works with Hasbro Marvel Legends. This guy by the name of he went by the name Jesse Falcon. It wasn't his actual name. It just was his stage name that he picked and used in the forums. But he gave a lot of background information about the design of toys, how they were built, and all. And he would correspond with people if they were respectful of him. So I used to actually ask him some really good interview questions. Yep, and. So I got to correspond with him quite a bit, and it really was more about the education that I got from the forums that meant more to me than some other experiences I had with with collectors. So the education, but also the network I created was very valuable out of that. Absolutely. So I'm actually going to – I'm going to swap the next two points on, on the script real quick. And I'm going to jump to the epic toy hunt, and then I'll come back to the Toy Fair magazine. But speaking of this guy, Freud, Uh we still have a trade that is probably eight years in the making. He's got some stuff for me. I've got some stuff for him. We just haven't shipped it yet because he, living in Galveston, Texas, has dealt with a couple of hurricanes. And then there was, like, the pandemic. And then there's all these things. So it's been years. We just – we still have stuff in – stuff for each other but in 2005 there was a summer day i want to say it was 2005 actually this website might be able to tell me what year let's find out if it's not 2005 i am just a hot liar <laughs> it was either 2004 or 2005 doesn't really matter we'll right. you, yeah yeah it doesn't matter but he had a list of things he was looking for i had a list of things i was looking for and i think this is why collectors sometimes get into it 
it's not always about the things. It's about the experiences, but it's also about the adventures. It's about the 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 trip, the hunts, the the thrill yeah. of the hunt. It's chasing the dragon, which that, yeah, that's okay. That's what it is for most people, and I'm not trying. I'm not trying to bring this back to myself again. That's not what it is for me now. That's what I agree with you. That's what it was then. And go ahead, continue with your stories. Well, yeah, and and the thing is, as far as action figure hunting goes, I actually found myself being pretty good at it. Even to this day, I'm still mm-hmm. pretty good at it. And I don't know how you get good at it. I think it's frequency. I think it's knowing timing. I think it's knowing your stores. I think it's it, – it's, there's a couple things that go into it. But I had a list of items that we both were looking for. I know on that list was some Muppets. I think there were some Batman figures in there. There were uh, some Marvel Legends in there. And in my area where I lived, I lived not in the most southern part of my county, but pretty close to the southern southern border of Lake County, which is – borders with cook county which is the county that chicago's in mm-hmm. but I, but if you uh where i was at if you went to the the southern border of, of lake county there was a walmart and a target across the street from each other and you could start from there and you could work your way up i-94 and get off at i think it was route 60 and then you could continue up to grand avenue and you could hit in total I think three targets and three Walmarts. If you traveled a little bit more, you could do maybe four, uh, four of each. Yep. At least two Toys R Uses, two KB Toys at the time. Rest in peace, KB Toys. And Toys R Us. That's not. And Toys R Us. Yeah. And uh, and and a comic shop. So mm-hmm. in one day, I just was like, "Hey, I have the day off. I have a little extra money. I'm going to get up. Let's go see what I can find." And got in the car, had my. Mountain Dew and my Egg McMuffin and started the morning at the the southern point of the county, worked my way up 94, hit everything along the way, and it was just fun. It Now I feel like it's such an aggravating waste of time to go check stores. Like I'm just I'm, – maybe it's because I'm an old man and I'm lazy, but I, I worked my way up and mm-hmm. I found everything that was on the list. I found at the comic shop a DC Direct, uh, I think it was Nightwing Hush, which was a rare figure at the time. I found a Marvel Legends Wolverine from Series 6. I found Palisades Muppets at Suncoast Video at the mall. Wow. It was just an epic hunt. Like, you, you don't have those anymore. I just don't think it's possible to just find that the variety that I found. And I, I, I will one day find the picture, and I'll send it to you so you can understand how amazing it was. Yeah. But, but I think the reason why that stuck with me is that you – when you're first starting out, this is maybe two or three years into collecting for me, and – it's, it was very, very different. I think the time of collecting in, in the early 2000s, there were toys of everything, and there were still toy aisles. Mm-hmm. And they were so – it was so much more plentiful than it is today that it sticks out to me that, one, that was just a very different time in my life. I had less responsibilities. I had more – uh, more opportunities to do things like that. And that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with leaving those in the past. I'm not saying I miss it and want to go back to that. But the to have an epic toy hunt like that and to feel very satisfied and remember that, I don't remember every toy hunt I've ever taken. That's yeah. one of the few. Yeah. 
Well, and again, so, you're doing this like so. The way you, <laughs> the way you you wrote this out, cross country or cross county hunt yep. for you know from one side to the other and finding everything on your list and 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 everything on Freud's list as well. It's like. You are doing something for your friend. You are going to all of these stores to help him find or finish or whatever for his collection. And that's, again, if you're living near someone or even if you aren't and, you know, you say, like, for example, I'm currently in Indiana. You're in Illinois. And I say, oh, yeah, the Hot Topic in Gurney Mills is going to have this exclusive insert franchise here that I love figure for Funko. Could you get it for me kind of thing? And I, you know, it's the whole thing of, Hey, this is here. Would, if you have a, if you have the time, can you go grab it and I'll shoot you the paper? You know, again, we, we live now in an age where it's like, I could say that to you and say, Hey, this is here. I can't get it anywhere else. Here's the money through PayPal. But this, this cross County thing, you know, this was an adventure. This was a, this was a Clark Griswold moment for you. Kind of yeah. thing where, you know, it, it like you said, it's an epic toy hunt. And I still haven't been able to find the picture. I've looked through a couple <laughs> of different uh, – I've looked through some storage devices. I haven't found – I know I haven't deleted it. I know I have it somewhere because it exists. Okay. But I, it, it's also – I think as we get older, we stop having brand-new experiences that we've never had before, you know? We, when you're younger, you have a whole lot more that's the first time you've ever done something. That was my first major toy hunt, but it wasn't – I didn't feel like it was a race against time. I, it was more, hey, if I go out and I find some stuff, awesome. If I don't find it, no big deal. I feel like that's a little less of an attitude now where people are feeling, oh, I need to find this. If I don't find it, it's going to be stressful. It's negative. I hate companies. Hasbro sucks. Target sucks. Walmart sucks. It was more, so I'm going find what I find. Yeah, so what you're talking about there now is the FOMO, fear of missing out kind of stuff. Yeah. And the FOMO is real, folks, because yikes. Just in, 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 in today's standards, and I'm not sure how much the FOMO was so much real back then. I'm sure it was too. But, like, I have never – I've said this on this podcast since we brought it back with episode 100 – I don't know if I'll fully stop, but if Funko ever makes an ALF, A-L-F, Alien Life Form, 1986 NBC television series, if they ever make a Funko pop of ALF, Gordon Shumway, look out. I will do whatever I have to do. Like, that is the one thing where I would feel... Like the fear of missing out. There have been several new Nightwing Funko Pops or several new Batman things that I've wanted that are still out there, but I haven't had a chance to get them yet. Because I will say the I, the, the the NECA Elf mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, and I understand that, but again, everyone always says, "Oh, Funko Pops, big black, big scary black eyes, blah blah blah." They stare into your soul. Well, Alf had big black eyes, and he has a big nose, and they have actually Funko did have the Alf license at some point because they did a what they called a wacky wobbler 
back in the day. So they've done an ALF before. I'm just waiting for them to do one now, but they're so stuck up the animes. It's a whole other thing. But yeah, I mean, the whole FOMO thing, man, it, it doesn't really affect me because I think for me, when I stopped collecting and sold my stuff in 2011 and 2012, and I just kind of kept going and looking at, oh, that, you know, looking at news articles of this, this figure's coming out or that figure, you know, it's like, oh, that's nice. I don't need it, but that's nice. Same thing with some of the Funko Pops. Right now, I'm not able to get a lot of them, and that's fine, and I'll get them eventually if I ever do kind of thing, but it's not the end of the world for me, whereas some people... It's the end, like, if they don't have it, it is the end of the motherfucking world, and it's so ridiculous. Yeah, and it's not only that, but the level of ang- like the level of anger they have towards not finding something. Oh, yeah. It It's interesting, because I just had a conversation with my students, and we were playing a game, and it was a whole simulation, and, and uh, one of my students went was out in the game really early on and we had a discussion over the rules were the rules fair it, it, it was a whole it wasn't just about like we're just playing a game for fun it, there was actually a lesson behind it and i asked him i i, I said why are you upset and he's like well I, I think it's unfair i'm like what's unfair he's like well i lost i said well, what do you mean and he, he said well it's unfair that i lost i'm like but you, you played by the rules you agreed to the rules and you lost mm-hmm. By the rules, there was, nothing, score, yeah. there was no shenanigans. Yeah, and it's just sort of this idea now of, well, there was nothing on the shelves. Why are you feeling so much anger and hatred towards something? That's just the way things work. Somebody got there before you. Yep. And that maybe that's the the big thesis out of that toy hunt was that if I didn't find everything I was looking for, it's okay. But everything I found was just amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah, you were finding amazing things both for yourself and for your friend, and you were able to get everything. Like, that's the lucky thing. You go to, let's sit, let me just put a list of physical stores together Walmart, Target, GameStop, Hot Topic, what else has whatever. You know what I mean? Like, all these places or local comic shops that may have old action figures kind of thing. Again, you're going on an epic toy hunt, and you were able to quote unquote win and be successful in finding everything that you both wanted. And yeah. the thing is like in, in the eighties folks, as a child, I had so many participation ribbons because those were a thing. And they, we were taught the difference and how you should act when you're winning or losing. Yes, winning you can celebrate. Yes, losing you can kind of feel down at first, but you have to look at it like you tried the best you could, but somebody else was a little bit better than you were. It's, you know, it's like, again, it goes back to preparing podcasts for me. Like, if somebody tells me an idea you or Steve Megatron or my buddy Optimus Solo or, you know, insert person here, whomever, if you guys tell me an idea and I'm like, okay, give me about 20 minutes and I'll come back with you to you with something that is like, okay, this is the format. This is just like this episode here, how we have gone and done the, done the stuff. So, folks, we are going to end this epic toy hunt talk. We're going to go to a quick ad break, 
And then we're going to come back and talk about the act of army building right after this. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, geeks and geekettes. Looking for a podcast that covers a vast array of topics? Then check out Altered Geek Unleashed, where we discuss our thoughts on this week's geeky news, tech, gaming, television shows, movies, cartoons, comics, and more. So, get altered, get geeky with the Altered Geeks, every Friday on the GeekCast Radio Network. Kid? Yes? Shut up. Beyond the Night is the GCRN's latest review podcast. We are covering everything in the Knight Rider television universe. From the classic 80s TV series to the 1991 reunion film, Team Knight Rider, and the 2008 relaunch series as well. So join TF2 and Mike and Dion the Music Man as they go in-depth in Beyond the Night only on GeekCast Radio Network. You can find Beyond the Night in iTunes and on www.geekcastradio.com. Yes, Michael. Just keep driving. Like science fiction? Of course you do, or you wouldn't be listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. Well, the Marku 42 Universe podcast is an award-winning sci-fi radio show that's been around for over 10 years. We cover everything from Doctor Who to the MCU to pop culture and everything in between. A new show drops on Tuesday mornings on the GCRN website and all of the major podcast platforms. So listen to the Marku 42's Universe podcast from the universe and beyond. What was that universal greeting again? Never mind, I remember. Ba weep, grana. Weep, ninibong. Hey guys, it's Rodimus Primal, and be sure to check out my YouTube channel. Join me as I have Transformers discussions, retrospectives, toy reviews, and more. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rodimus Primal, as well as Facebook and Instagram at Rodimus Primal Show. Transform and roll out, and be sure to check out my content till all are one. Last big party of the summer, folks. Let's go out with a bang. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. 
We talk. Hello, Julie, what the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spot sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Car, car. Download this show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, hey! I got something! Since 2009, we have been the premier cartoon podcast here at the GeekCast Radio Network. We are Tooncast, from taking you beyond the cartoons we grew up with to seasonal saucy toon talk, and now we get the origins of toonsters everywhere as we ask guests 30 questions about their cartoon watching experiences, plus so much more. Tooncast is back. Join me, TFG and Mike, and the rest of the GCRN crew as we give you all the toon talk you will ever need, only on the GCRN, and wherever you consume your podcast. We are beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. We are all tunes all the time here on Tooncast. Yeah. Hello, all sentient beings. Want the latest on everything going on in the Transformers multiverse? Check out the Transmissions Podcast Network. We've got weekly podcasts covering everything from Alpha Trion to Omega Supreme. From old school G1 all the way up to Cyberverse and beyond. And you don't want to miss Empire of Rust, the world's first and only Transformers live play role playing game podcast. If you love Transformers, there's something for everyone at transmissionspodcast.com. Discover a world of vintage and modern toys that's more than meets the eye with the Triple Takeover Toycast. Hosted by toy writers and photographers Toybox Soapbox, 6O, and TF Square One, this informal and chilled out series of discussions cover everything from vintage Transformers to Mask, Diaclone, Microman, and more, be it nostalgic or current. Whether you're a seasoned collector or a casual robot enthusiast, all are welcome. Triple Takeover Toycast. We are back here on ToyCast episode 170. We are on the road to 200 episodes. We got 30 to go. Josh, the floor burger, 
is famous because he was in Toy Fair magazine twice. Not just once, but twice. In and I look silly. And I look silly in both of them. <laughs> so the first thing I remember, I was really big in a Toy Fair magazine. I love the magazine. I thought it was a lot of fun. And a little trivia fact, some of the writers from Toy Fair magazine work currently, or at least they did work at some point. I don't, maybe they're still there. Maybe they're not on Robot Chicken. So oh, nice. cool. a, a lot of the original writers from that switched over. And they that's why if you ever read the old school Twisted Toy Fair magazine, there's a similar flavor of using toys. And that, that was actually one of the big inspirations for those toy comics and stories that I always wanted to write before mm-hmm. was Twisted Toy Fair magazine because they made it look easy. It's not easy by any means. <laughs> However, uh, Toy Fair magazine put out, I don't know if I was on their mailing list or something, but they put out a survey and I remember typing into it and it was all about Marvel Legends. And in this survey, they're asking about uh, I think it was Series 7, and the first Hawkeye figure was in that. And admittedly at the time, I didn't know much about Marvel Comics. I loved comics, but I was a very surface-level reader. Right. Sorry, hold on one second. I, I have cats who are demanding attention. Come on now, do your, do your thing. You might want to edit this, I don't know. Come on! There you go. All right. Everybody settle now. So you still there? Hello? Yep. yep. Okay, cool. Uh, So I go into the survey and I start typing and it's about Hawkeye. And the the quote was somewhere along the lines of easy, easily the coolest character I know nothing about. He could beat up Legolas any day of the week. And. They were they were at least kind enough in the magazine to frame it like, oh, he's a convert, because I think there was a growing appreciation of nerd culture at the time. It just wasn't there yet. It was still blossoming. Right. Yeah. And I learned to really like Hawkeye and I went and did my research on Hawkeye after I got the figure and really appreciated him and thought he was really, really cool. And he's actually one of my favorite cinematic universe characters that I have right now. Mm hmm. But at the time, I came off sounding like a massive noob. (laughs) So I I was quoted in the magazine as saying that. And it was really cool because they responded to me and said, hey, we're using your line just so you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, "Okay, cool. That's awesome. So that was my first first go in in the magazine. Then I go to, I believe it was the 2004 Wizard World convention in Chicago. And it was I don't know if it was one of my first, but it was I, I definitely was learning about conventions at that point. And I went and there was a super secret Toy Fair magazine signing. And it was the the guys who ran Toy Fair magazine, including the editor, Zacho, who has immensely amazing mutton chops. I don't know if he's still out there. Maybe he is. I think he was working for Entertainment Earth the last time I checked. Mm, right. One of the nicest, most creative people I've ever met in the toy industry. So just so nice. And so I met him and uh, he, he signed a couple things and I got a picture uh, with the Mego Spider-Man who was well known in that magazine. And it was really, really exciting for me. And I, I asked him, I said, hey, you have this spotlight thing in your magazines where people take a picture holding the magazine with celebrities or something like that. And you, you post it. If I go get my picture with a celebrity who's signing autographs here today, would you put it in? He's like, yeah, but it has to be Glenn Shaddix. Yeah. And 
and I look over and I see Glenn Shaddix. And if you don't know who Glenn Shaddix is, his two most well-known roles in pop culture were um, he was Otho in Beetlejuice and he was Bob in uh, Demolition Man. I almost said, said Judge Dredd, but Demolition Man. Demolition Man, yeah. Almost the same exact character in both movies. But he just he just played this really good role in, in both. He was he was very, very talented. And I go over to him and I, I'm talking to him. I said, hey, you know, love your work. If I can I get a picture with you? Because the guys over at that magazine who run this convention said they'll they'll publish me in there if I get a picture with you. Now, mm-hmm. I'm 20, 21, somewhere around there. Um, I don't know why, but I was very like looking very fresh faced. Like I had shaved that day. I had just got a really short haircut. So I look like I'm 12. And I go to take the picture of him. But I had to like lean over, and it's a very, very awkward lean. Okay. Super weird body position for me. So it's not a flattering picture. And I run back, and I tell Zach out. And he's like, okay. So we traded emails. And so I sent him the picture, and I get published. And then we start corresponding. And he was actually really good. I started asking him a lot of questions about how do you get into the magazine industry? What are things you like? And so he was very, very friendly very communicative community that's what i wanted to say mm-hmm. yep that i really looked at how friendly it was and unfortunately at that point in college it's what he was doing mm-hmm. i was already too far along in college just like journalism or communications or anything like that so it, it, that's just my one claim to fame i was in toy fair magazine <laughs> that's awesome that's very cool very cool all right the art of army building in 2005 so you want to hear how much of a a uh amateur i was at one point in collecting <laughs> sure so when i first got into collecting I generally shied away from Star Wars. I wasn't too into it when I started, but I loved the Kenner toys. So I I explored it, got into it. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling that Marvel Legends were too hard to find. Wrestling figures weren't that great. And I was like, oh, you know, with this Return uh, or Revenge of the Sith movie line coming out, this should be uh, a really easy line to collect because there's so much of it out at the time. This is back when... When there was a Star Wars movie, they used to put toys out. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. They, they do, but not to the extent that they used to. They were right. wall the ball. Yeah. And so when, uh, when I started looking around, I started realizing that clone troopers were very plentiful mm-hmm. and that the different color variants of clone troopers were also very plentiful. And that got my... I don't know if you want to call it my ADHD, my OCD, whatever, but I started army building and it was so much fun. It was so much fun because they were cheap. You could buy a ton of them. I could buy three or four of them at a time. And it was like not even 20 bucks. It was, it was great. And, um, and I loved the color variations. They were yellow, orange, red, blue, different paint jobs. There were exclusives I could hunt down and they seemed to be easy to find. So in my last couple of years of college, I had installed some white Walmart shelves, just the, the basic mm-hmm. rack shelves you could buy. And I went from 
no Stormtroopers, and really not much of a Star Wars collection, to, I can't remember the final count, but it was well over 100, 150 Stormtroopers. Mm. and Or Clone Troopers, rather. Okay. And it was just such a fun little thing to do. And I could go anywhere and grab one, and I started labeling some. So, like, I have some that I wrote um, different numbers or letters on them to kind of signify where they came from, if they came from a friend or if they came from a, a significant other or whoever. So I had divisions and they started growing. And that was my first experience with army building. And I didn't really know much about army building prior to that. I knew people did it, but I never did it. Right. Yeah. And so I had a perfectly like I, I took a ruler and measured them out on these shelves. Like they were perfectly spaced between each other. And when I graduated college and I had to take it all down, my intention was to always when I brought it back home was to reproduce that. Now I didn't have the same kind of shelves at home and it was a scale that I didn't really collect a lot of. Like I said, I tried to keep everything in the same scale at like six inch, five inch right around there. Mm-hmm. So they just stayed boxed when I came back from, from school. And, but I continued buying for star Wars with the intention of creating a massive star Wars display. So I, I bought clone trooper vehicles. I started buying more, of the Jedi and more characters. And I actually had a pretty sizable star Wars collection at one point. And I think the figures were really amazing around 2006, 2007, 2008. If you ever look back the variety, the articulation, the, the uh, quantity that you could buy was Mm. immense. There was, yeah, they had everything out. You, you could find literally almost everything. Yeah. Expanded universe. You could find comic figures, and they were so unique and so well done. It, 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 it was great. It was a ton of fun to collect. And I eventually got into army building for Lord of the Rings. And that meant I was buying a lot of orcs or just the generic human army characters. And that was also another line that you could easily collect in, in multiple forms at the time. So... Army building became a focus at that point because when I graduated college, I didn't know I was moving. I had this you know, wonderful home in, in, in Long Grove, this large property that regardless of the time of year was perfect for taking pictures. And again, I had the, the intent of writing and taking pictures of massive action figure stories. Yeah. But lo and behold, after about a year and a half news came down my parents were divorcing and i had to start packing everything up so a lot of stuff just stayed in boxes because once they started showing the house you can't really have an action figure display out you just can't yeah so stuff stayed in boxes for years when i finally moved nothing got put out again stuff just stayed in boxes and eventually i sold most of the the star wars stuff if not all of it and then eventually I did pare down the Lord of the Rings a little bit, but I do still have a pretty sizable Lord of the Rings piece. But it did change how I collected in that when Star Wars Black came out, I started army building for that, which was a little harder because it was a little bit more expensive. obviously. Right. But I had a pretty decent Stormtrooper collection for that, that I eventually did sell some of that off because if they're selling for 30, 40 bucks a piece, why wouldn't I sell if I have an extra five, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there's I don't really army build a whole lot anymore. I, mm. I usually just go with smaller squads, not armies. Yeah. So 
I had, I had a friend who, the, the guy we mentioned, Freud, before, he said that he would either, he would usually army build in, in threes, in fours, in fives, or sixes. Mm-hmm. Because that way you could have a level of symmetry if you want it. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't really have too many figures that are not, like, I think I have four or five stormtroopers, you know, three death troopers, stuff like that. It doesn't really go too crazy, but that was another big phase of just, wow, look at all these clone troopers that could buy. And if I find a generic enough looking figure, so there's the Marvel Legends Scourge that came out a couple years ago. I think 2016 he was out. Okay. Maybe 2015, 2016. Right. He just kind of, he, he looks like a, a random henchman in, in gear with a gas mask on. I found him at five below. I found, I think, four or five of them. And they just make for a really good army builder, random henchman. So that was kind of one of the last things I ever, ever army builded at the time. Cobra Troopers, you know, now, but those are so hard to find. It's not even, it's not even funny. But, but that's also going to bring us into 2006 of, this is another big moment. This is the Giant Man and Walmart Legends wave that rocked the Marvel Legends collecting universe. Mm -hmm. And... In March of 2006, there were two things on my mind. Graduating and Marvel Legends. (laughs) And eventually, when I shattered my front tooth the morning of graduation, that was another thing on my mind. But otherwise, it was just graduating and getting out of there and figuring out what my next step was and finding Marvel Legends before I left. Because my concern about this Walmart-exclusive giant man wave when I found out was that if if I didn't find it down there when I got home... My Walmart was awful, and I mm. couldn't go there at two in the morning. Yeah. Which, you know, first world problems, right? Yeah. yeah. So I remember it was maybe around this time, 2006, maybe February, March 2006. There was a series of pictures that were released, and this is before Twitter. Facebook wasn't really a thing for this yet. Yeah. Came out in the forums of a demonstration, like mock up. Uh, shipper display or display shipper, whatever they're called in at a Walmart in, I think Kansas or Missouri or something like that. And it was basically just those middle of the aisle displayers of this new line of Marvel legends that was coming out, this giant man wave. And it was really, really exciting because the figures that were coming out, some of them have never been made before. Some of them were made before, but they're updated, which was really, really cool. And the giant man was just a really, really well done figure. And it just, it it, it just felt so exciting. But when you were looking at this mock-up, it went to this Walmart by accident. It shouldn't have gone there. It was completely by accident. Right. Yeah. So all the things sometimes happen, sadly. Yeah. And all the figures were on mock-ups of card backs and stuff like that. But they had some new guys, like they had this century, they had Captain Britain, who I'd never, who hadn't really been out in figure form. They had a, a really new, really good Thor. They had Kitty Pride. They had some really, really cool selections. Uh, Marvel Legends Warbird, Warbird. Some amazing figures with this great Giant Man build a figure. But at the same time, they had the Face Off series. And the Face Off series were two packs of some really, really unique, very cool characters that got updates so it was a new captain america that came with 
a Baron Von Strucker or a Red Skull, depending which variant you got. It had a new Iron Man. It had a new Daredevil. Just so many really cool, really amazing figures that literally would upgrade all of my favorites all in one release. Like, that's basically what happened. Name any of my favorite Marvel characters. They all pretty much got an upgrade in that release. Cool. And that night when I saw those pictures posted, I was actually in that superhero hype forum talking to guys. I'm like, guys, I'm going to Walmart. Wish me luck. So I jump in my car. I'm driving. I think it was like a 2002, 2001 Mercury Sable. And I go and I use my six disc CD changer that was in my trunk. I don't (laughs) remember when that was a thing. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. And I knew that I had Eye of the Tiger in there and I'm blasting that racing down this empty college street to get to Walmart. And I get there and there's nothing there. Oh, no. Well, because I I thought because there was this mock up that it was going to be at my Walmart for some magical reason. You know, I was I was totally wrong. It was it was the dumbest thing I've ever done. (laughs) And so then over the next couple of weeks, I am checking Walmart every night. To the point where the the employees knew me, they were annoyed by me, or they liked me, or whatever. Because I always try to be friendly, like you know. Yeah, you should always be friendly. Yeah. No matter what it is, like whether it's toy like if you as a customer are going into a store and you're looking for something, or you're don't just go in there, shake your fist. Where's my? Where's the new damn? What? Don't do that. Go in there, ask nicely, become friends with the people because they're just doing their job. And they don't get paid well enough for it. Hell no, they don't. Yeah. And so I started going, and I I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it it just became my regular routine. And my senior year, my last semester of my senior year, I was very, very clever with my schedule. I pretty much, I think there's only two classes I actually had to pass to graduate that year uh, or that semester, and all the other classes were fluff. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I just... I just scheduled things right. You know, I, I did things well. And so I was working. I was doing that. It was it was a really good semester. It was a lot of fun. And like I said, I could go and do this every single night. I'd wake up the next morning, like eight or nine in the morning. My first class was 10 or 11. So it was never a problem. You know, this is just what I did. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the night I got there. And they didn't have the shipper out, but they had, I think, the majority of the wave on the shelf. I don't know. I don't remember who was missing, but I had most of the Giant Man wave there. And I got it. And the funny thing about the Giant Man wave compared to a lot of other waves now uh, is that now you get like someone's entire arm from, you know, the bicep down to the hand. For the giant man wave, it was you get the hand with one figure and then from like the elbow to the bicep with another figure. So they started splitting up all the parts because there were more figures in the wave. There also were one, two, I think there are two variants in it. But the funny thing is about the variants is that the sentry figure had a bearded and unbearded version but they also had two color variants of that figure so there were four total sentry figures and oh wow it it was it was nuts it was it was completely nuts why they had that many but i loved it because i loved the figure i loved the the bright yellow and blue and the mustard and blue and stuff like that 
And I, I, it was at this point that anybody who could help, you know, even, even a girl on my team who, uh, would go out of town every so often to a small, small town with a Walmart. I had people helping me all over the place trying to get these. (laughs) And it got to the point where I started actually getting more than I needed for my own collection. And I started hooking up people all over the place between my school and back home because I just had connections to all these small town Walmarts that nobody was buying these at yet. They were, in in my town, they're being bought up pretty quickly, but you drive 45 minutes, an hour away, hit a couple of Walmarts, and you'd get a ton, and I could resell them and take, you know, I would usually charge like two, three bucks per figure uh, as just like kind of a premium, and at the time, that was still cheaper than eBay, so people paid me that. So I'd, I'd walk away making 60 bucks off of, you know, bringing people a set of, of these Marvel Legends. Yeah. Um, but it, it was really just such a fun time that I can now tie into another big moment in my life when I graduated college. Now, granted, two years later, I go back to get my master's degree and, you know, I should have probably had stayed down there to get my teaching degree. But, you know, that's the reason I'm sitting right here in my seat right now is that I didn't stay down there. Yeah. So that was sort of a nice capstone or keystone capstone. I don't know what you want to call it, but like it was it was a nice finish to college being some of the most important collecting moments of my life. Right. Uh, Meeting people, changing who I was, getting into this new hobby. I finished with one of the biggest and most important Marvel legend waves that had ever come out. And I still, to this day, think it's probably one of the most important that ever came out. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. And then in late 2006, you found the food fighters. So I think we talked about food fighters before. Oh, yes, we have. Yeah. And I, in 2006, started feeling a little burnt out by what I called modern toys. This is before DC Universe Classics. This is before Masters Universe. Yeah. I was just feeling a little burnt out. And I started getting into what I called vintage toys. And what's funny is that what I was viewing as vintage was maybe 15, 16 years old then. Now we're now we're getting into things being almost 30 years older, which yeah. is a weird feeling. But this is before the prices for a lot of vintage toys took off. You could in 2006 to 2009, 2010, you could get turtles for five bucks. Now, not as much. No. So Pixel Dan put out a video about food fighters and it clicked with me that I used to love food fighters. I had one as a kid. I had a friend who had the entire series. I loved them. I thought they were a ton of fun. And I decided at that point that I was going to try to find the original set. Right. Looked on eBay. Somebody had a set of 10. They were super cheap. Bought them. And I loved yep. them. And I yep. thought they were so much fun. Because to me, they look like claymation toys. I, I think that's really what it is. Is that if you look back at old claymation from the 80s. Mm. Not only do they have a commercial that uses claymation, but they just they just look very much like that style that I really liked when I was a kid. So I got them and loved them and they were a ton of fun. And I thought, oh, okay, cool. I'm done. (laughs) Then I'm at a convention and I see a guy has mean uh, mean wiener on his his uh, in his booth Mm -hmm. on card. And that was the first one I ever got. I'm like, hey, that would actually be a really cool piece to just have. That was the first one I got. I don't need the rest. That's fine. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's those are famous last words. Yeah. So, I, I buy it from Wizard World from a guy named Mark Huckabone, who is known in the, the toy industry quite a bit. He's a big-time buyer and seller. He's been on the Toy Hunter show that was out on Travel Channel for a little while. Yep. And uh, really nice guy. Really, really cool. Uh, very, very high energy, but very friendly. Just He's got a good energy about him. But I buy it from him, and then I start kind of looking around, and I come into a couple more. I, I buy a few more. And then I start buying a few more. Then I eventually, through a lot of work in a couple of years, I have the base set of 10, all carded. Mm-hmm. I have the two smaller vehicles still in the box. Mm-hmm. And I have one of the variants on the box. And then I start buying the coloring book, the puzzle, the lunchbox. At one point, I think I had one of the biggest and best Food Fighters collections in the Midwest, I, 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 <laughs> I, I later found out that there are guys and there still is a guy who's got a Food Fighters collection that will rival anybody's. Yeah. But I also started army building. So I started buying up loose lots. So I had enough of the pizza character to make a full pizza, which it was, which took eight more of the fries. And then I was starting to get the accessories. And and this is this is a lot of times how collecting goes is that you start buying up lots because it's cheaper to buy up a lot, get the couple pieces you need, and then sell off the rest. And usually get money back just to get the couple pieces you needed. So in 2016, um, sometimes when I go through major traumatic moments in my life, I've, I've had a couple times where I start feeling like I need to take some weight off of me. I need to get rid of some stuff, or I need to make some changes in my life. And in 2016, I got really, really sick. I was hospitalized. It was really, really a a bad time in my life. And I needed money because I also had medical bills. So this is right when food fighters were starting to go up in price in 2016, really just starting, but not bad. So I reached out to Pixel Dan, who I had talked to. I'd met him a couple times and I said, hey, I'm thinking about selling my carded collection. Would you be interested? And. He's like, yeah, what do you think? And so I, I threw him a number, and the number now is probably half, if not, you know, <laughs> one third of what I could get for him now, but I don't regret that. Yeah, yeah. And he he uh, he bought him off me, and he said, hey, what if we did a video out of this? So there is a, a Pixel Dan video. If you look up Pixel Dan and Food Fighters, you'll see the video where he bought up my carded collection and everything that goes with it. And it was pretty awesome. And I also started selling off my extra loose figures, which, again, Pixel Dan bought more of those. And Das also bought a bunch. He almost bought, I think, almost the entire set off of me. Very cool. And I still have a full set. I have a couple extras. And like I mentioned, I have the play set. And it's one of the cornerstones of my collection. It would probably be one of the main pieces of my collection I would not sell if I ever had to sell everything. Right. So... That was uh, that was a really fun little unique part of my uh, that that kicked off a lot of major events in my life of meeting people, making connections, really exploring a lot of things. Uh, I learned that food fighters were actually probably going to be aliens if they ever had any sort of content or media that came out with them. They're supposed to be like little aliens or something. Mm-hmm. 
there was more meant to be out there and there's still a lot of a lot of secrets that people don't want to trade because the person who owns the trademark or the copyright right now doesn't want that information getting out for whatever mm. reason i don't know yeah. yeah there was some drama there with the with uh some of the things that occurred mm. but moving right along i'm well, we will most definitely, because I, I need to go back and rewatch that video, but I will probably most definitely embed the video that Josh is talking about where Pixel Dan bought his food fighters in the post on GeekCastRadio.com. Moving right along, we are getting to the totally tubular traveling toys of 2007. So I took one of my first major vacations as an adult, without parents, without school, just me choosing to take a vacation in 2007 Mm -hmm. and it was it was kind of a big moment in my life because it was actually the first time i flew by myself that was a big thing and yeah that was the first time 2007 you were 30 years old to that no no i was 20 25 right around there yeah. yeah yeah so that's funny you say that because at that point i had been flying since i was five years old in 1985 (laughs) well small small little bit of background on that is so my first vacation my first flight i was seven years old and then i took two other flights after that but my family didn't travel a lot and we didn't really go a lot of places my last vacation that i flew somewhere for until this one was 10 years earlier so i actually hadn't uh outside of a one school trip Two school trips. Let me rephrase that. Two school trips. I I hadn't flown for a vacation in in ten years. Oh wow. Okay. So the the two trips I took were not vacations. They were they were related to cheerleading. And hey, that's a vacation. <laughs> one day we'll have a non toy talk, and I'll tell you about those two trips. Were- <laughs> that can go on Geekcast Radio, the flagship show, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, so, anyway, yeah, and so this was one of my first trips. And it was really exciting, and I flew. And it was uh, we were staying around the Orlando area. And I, I won't go into too much detail about it, but I was really excited for the new Transformers movie. And I really liked the look at the time of some of these new Transformers. And I found a Bumblebee when, when uh, I was shopping. And... I bought it and I was like, hey, this is really cool. This is really exciting. I love the figure and kind of took it along with me. Didn't do too much with it. I didn't take any pictures of it, but I had it with me for for that trip. And I got back and it was my first. I I don't know if it was my first, but it was definitely one of my first toys. I remember getting on vacation and traveling with. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So two, two years later, I planned another trip back to Orlando and Disney. And I brought with me um, these little Pokemon that I like to travel with, uh, Bulbasaur and Ivysaur. They're small. They're easy to travel with. They're discreet. You can have them in your bag, take them out, take a picture, put them back in your bag, and and go about your day. So people had told me that there's like something called like a flat Stanley or something where when you're traveling, you just take a picture of this little figurine in a unique area, and then you start collecting pictures of the travels of this figurine. And it's actually a very popular thing that I found out that people do. And on that trip, go to Walmart. Two years later, guess what was hitting theaters that summer again? 
Transformers. The second the phone. Yep. Yeah. So I got in a maybe Skids, I think is his name. He's a silver Transformer, and he's got maybe thirty seconds of screen time in the movie. But I got that, and it was really cool. So I have these two figures now that I've I've gotten there, and it was pretty much from there that I started realizing with the the Pokemon and everything is that I really liked traveling with toys and taking pictures of them in new places because it was just really fun. And let's see. So 2009, did I take another trip after that? I can't, uh, I'll say, um, my honeymoon, uh, my honeymoon in 2013. So I brought several figures out to our resorts, a lot of beach related figures out to the resort. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. Um, I have this Michelangelo figure from the sewer spitters line where he's in sort of a tourist outfit. So he's got a Hawaiian shirt on a lay, a a straw hat. He's just, he just is like a perfect figure to travel to tropical locations. So he started coming with, and when I got the Michael Knight figure, he became my travel. These became my traveling figures and they rotate. Yeah. So starting in 2007, I get this first bumblebee figure that i was like hey i like having this part of collecting now became i'm getting toys and i'm remembering where i got them from so every trip something goes with me when i went to boston i brought a doctor who figure with me when i went to our honeymoon it was all these tropical themed figures and a couple other pokemon when I would go to Disney and other times I would bring David Hasselhoff. So in 2016, David Hasselhoff came with me and that, that was a ton of fun. I'll have to send you some pictures of that later. (laughs) And so now that's my kind of regular thing. Whenever I travel, something comes with me for an adventure. And I think it's an extension of that fellowship from before where I had this group of figures that traveled with me. Yep. I think it's an extension of that a little bit, Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But uh, I've had a lot of funny moments with it because I've had to go through security with them and somebody opens up the bag and they're like, what is this? And I'm like, uh, I'm a photographer. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why I have a bunch of toys in my. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like Jeff Dunham when he goes through airport security, they open it up and Walter's there and shut the damn door. You know, yeah, it's it's the same kind of thing because airport security is always wary of because they expect nothing but clothes and other, you know things to be yeah. in there they don't expect toys to be in a suitcase but yeah, yeah yeah and it it there is a little bit of fear in there because i don't want to lose anything and i think that's one of the reasons why i have so many david hasselhoffs <laughs> is that i remember i got i can't i wish i wrote down i have at least four right now of the same kenner michael knight figure and i wish i could identify one i my mom got me one i got myself an extra you know i had my first one that i got and I was I liked having more because in case I ever lost them on a trip, I'd have extra. But like now I'm so attached to the Michael Knight figures that I'm more nervous about even bringing the extras on the trip with me. So that's always a, a, a nerve wracking piece of if somebody steals my bag or if I lose my bag that they're gone. So now I'm being a little bit more particular about when I travel, what goes with me, how it goes with me. Uh, because one time, uh, I, I can't remember, I think it was on my honeymoon or it was when we went back to Punta Cana a couple of years ago, I was taking pictures of figures in the sand. And sand is actually sometimes really kind of nice to take pictures of figures in because you can put their feet in the sand and they hold the pose pretty well. 
Mm-hmm. Wet sand works really, really well for this. Except when you don't know that the waves are now getting a little bit more fierce. <laughs> so there was one time I had a little group picture of all these figures set up. The waves came in and I'm trying to take a picture. My wife's sitting there like, can we just go get a drink or go do something else? <laughs> and the wave comes up and grabs them and yeah. starts dragging them back towards the ocean. I'm like, no. And I run and I, I'm able to recover everything. But I will say the the biggest fear of traveling figures for me is losing them. So now sometimes when I go on trips, it's not so much what I bring with me. It's what I take back. So I have a Marvel Legends cable figure I got in Vegas because Vegas is about excess and 90s characters like cable were about excess and it just kind of worked. Um, so, yeah, so that all kind of started in 2007 with Disney and, and doing stuff there. Very cool. Very cool. And then it's off to 2008 with the style of Mark and the speed of Josh on Epic Toy Hunts. So my buddy Mark, I've I've mentioned a lot. He and I really started hanging out a lot in 2007, 2008 and really getting into toy hunting. Mm -hmm. And I would go visit him or he would visit me and we, it became very apparent to me very quickly that when it comes to hunting, we have very similar instincts. I think part of it is that he learned it from me, but he also took what he learned from me because he got into hunt, he got into collecting after I did, mm-hmm. because, and a lot of it was because of me. Right. And I think he learned some of that stuff from me, and then he has perfected that style on his own, and he's gotten his own style now that he could probably teach other people. He's kind of a Jedi master now. But 2008. Uh, in 2009 and 2010 and, and, and even up until this very day, put the two of us in a car, give us some time to go toy hunt. We know what to do. We know that we're going to drive to the next door. We're going to park. There's no mm-hmm. lollygagging in the car. You're out yeah. of the car. Yep. You're, you're into the store. And when we get in, we know how to zoom and hunt all the way to the toy, toy section. We know where we go first. We do our first loop. We always do a, a double back. We always check again because usually you always find something on the second go around. And we just have that very strong. We don't lollygag. Like we move very. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the whole point, like, again, so example I can give you for myself. Was it bullseye? Yeah, I think it was. So a couple of years ago, forget when, but a number of years ago. Funko released uh, Flocked Target Ad Icon Bullseye Dog. It was me and like eight other people waiting outside Target to, you know, for them to open the doors. They open the doors. I don't look at anything at the beginning. I don't look at anything in the registers. I don't look at anything anywhere. I'm like beelining to the electronics department. I just want one. I don't want like, you know, I'm not a scalp. Scalping is wrong, folks. Don't don't scalp shit. You know, that kind of thing. But I just wanted one one of those figures and I was able to get one, you know, fairly decently. But like that's that that streamline, you know, not multitasking. It's it's um, what the hell is it called? It's like. It's it's a one liner. It's like, you know. You have from point A to point B kind of thing, and nothing is going to distract you from it. Yeah, and I, I think just he and I having that that 
unspoken style that when I go visit him now, because he lives in about 45 minutes southwest of Orlando right now in a smaller town. I don't know if it's a smaller town, but it's a little bit more of a developing rural area. So very close to Bloomington Normal, where I went to school, is that it's it's developing. It's getting bigger. There's more stores. There's more traffic. But we, we have a tendency now when I go down there that we go to Disney first thing in the morning. So we get up at like 530 in the morning. We're out the door by six and we're giving ourselves enough time to go check a Walmart on the way up there. It, it, we might be half asleep, but we still know as soon as we get down there, boom, 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 check it back in the car. We're gone if there's nothing to buy. And it, it's just it's one of those really fun extensions of that earlier toy hunt I was talking about of. You have these big epic moments that now are just really part of a skill and a style. So let's keep going. I'm, I'm going to keep pushing forward, pushing the accelerator down because we're getting into the last 10 years now. <laughs> uh, so when my wife and I first moved into our first house, we bought a house that a uh, little townhouse, wonderful little place, great starter home for the both of us. And it was in Gurney in which I think you were living in the area maybe five minutes from us at the time well you when did you buy that house 2012 i was not in gurney until 2018 so it took me six years oh okay well we were there in 2018 right right yeah, yeah. but i so, was in 2012 yeah so it had so this particular model of home in this neighborhood had a smaller it depended on if it was remodeled or, or how it was designed. Some people use it as a bedroom. Some people use it as an office. Some people use it as a bonus storage room. Some people took the wall down and just widened the entire area. But it was this little bonus space that we're using for storage. But I started slowly but surely carving out what we called the man cave. What it would eventually become was simply where my computer desk was, a couch, a TV, and shelves of most of my toys. And then mm-hmm. a lot of boxes, tons of boxes. And then <laughs> later during quarantine, that became my classroom. So the the room took a long time to build. I had shelves. I had bookshelves that eventually just weren't doing the job. So I sold them and I made my own shelving from unfinished wood from Menards or something like that. Unfinished shelving. And it really took a long time and it evolved from some basic unmatching bookshelves to putting in some cheaper unfinished bookshelves and really developing it further. And it literally looked like a hoarder's nightmare. Most of the time it was not a clean room. It just wasn't coming together very quickly. There wasn't a lot of space. I was my first three years living in that home. I was so busy. I was, I was driving uh, almost two and a half hours a day for work. Round trip was about two and a half hours. Two hours on a good day, two and a half on a on a bad day. Wow. And, and it, it just, I never gave myself the time or the de- dedication or focus to turn it into something functional and wonderful and enjoyable. And in the whole time we were there, so we moved in 2020, the whole time I was there, it took until lockdown that in the first two or three weeks of lockdown where I didn't know if I was going back to school, I actually didn't have to work at the time. We used emergency days that I decided I was finally going to just make 
the display. I was going to make the room. I was going to put everything up. I was going to make it what I wanted it to be with the space I had. And I finally did it. And I have YouTube videos of it I can share with you of the completed man cave at the time. And it, it wasn't the greatest room. It was not – again, I, I look at it now. I'm like it wasn't clean. It wasn't nice. It was very um, cluttered. It was It was messy. But it was what I had. And then when we moved, we picked a house that had a spare room that we called the blue room because it's painted blue. And I was like, I'm turning this into my new collection room. This is what I wanted the man cave to always be. Now, the man cave was supposed to be when I had guys over. That's where we'd go hang out because there was a couch up there, TV, video games, all that stuff. That was supposed to be the room. The problem with it is that it was right next to our bed. We didn't have a bedroom. It was a lofted space in the in the townhome. And the the challenge would be, hey, you know, if if Mike, you came over, we'd be hanging out, playing video games late at night. My wife would be just behind just next just to behind. The, yeah, yeah. Just it, behind the wall trying to sleep. Yeah, yeah, that's not you know? so yeah, that's kinda like how now where I'm gonna eventually have my stuff set up in my bedroom. So Originally, I had my bed up against the wall where it f- it's the wall where I'm now sitting where my computer is. I switched that to have that over by where my actual neighbor is. And on that wall that faces this one to the living room, that's where I'm going to you know, mount my TV because I would rather mount it on an inside wall than a neighbor wall. And if yeah. the TV's too loud, it might affect the neighbor. So the same thing with your wife. If, if the bedroom is right there and you're, you know up playing grand theft auto four and nico is you know doing doing whatever nico does in grand theft auto 4. that's sound and plus you know if if it's two or more you know guys or girls or whatever hanging out and whatever else you're gonna talk you're gonna laugh and and that other person is not gonna be able to sleep and it's yeah it's, it's just yeah no so. and it was just it was a very open floor plan so there wasn't a lot of space to hide so when we got this new place with the bar that we have down in the basement now I can go play video games and hang out down there. The toy room is just my toy room. Um, the blue room is, is is that. And I went and bought nicer shelves and I started setting everything up. And the room is still in flux. We're, we're waiting to get new floors put in. So there's a lot of stuff that I just like. There's no reason to touch this because if we get new floor inside, new flooring put in, I have to take it all out. I have to take out the entire yeah. bottom shelf. Yeah, uh, and I'm not looking forward to that. It, and I might even have to take more than just the bottom shelf out so they can put flooring in. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. It's it's, it's going to be a, a crazy piece. But when that's done, I can finally this the floor becomes a display uh, a display space. So it, it's going to really be able to to stretch all that out. And the blue room is eventually going to become a very proper collecting space where stuff is displayed properly. There's not a bunch of junk on the floor and just like empty boxes and, and right. it'll be a lot nicer, but the, the, the man cave, what it was when we got it in 2012 was supposed to be my dream space that I always wanted. And it's just funny that it took a worldwide pandemic to make that happen. Well, a lot of things happened because of, or didn't happen because of the pandemic, and it, it's it's a strange time we live in. So, yeah. also in 2012, you were collecting the TMNT toy line. Yeah, and that was the 2012 Nickelodeon toy yep. line, and I remember v- being very skeptical, skeptical, <laughs> so, 
I was very I was very much a skeptic of the the new Ninja Turtles because it was there was a movie a, tw- a 2007 movie that came out that I liked but wasn't received as well as it could have been. The toy line was pretty good, but it, again, not received as well as it could have been. Yeah. Then there was the 2003 or so turtle line that sure. I liked, but it wasn't. It just didn't gel with me. The show was better than the toys. Yeah, and well, the toys weren't. Uh, the toys weren't terrible. I look back at a lot of them. No, now. they weren't terrible. But I'm saying, like, comparing the media, the show was yeah. better than the toy. Like, the, yeah, yeah. So, uh, they but they were. There were pluses and minuses to it. I, I only got the four main turtles. I didn't get anybody else from it. Yeah. Then before that, there was the, the next mutation line, which was one no, of the rare times. No. Well, Stop. Go one, go forward in time. We're not talking about next mutation. Well, hold on. Well, next mutation, the toy line was better than the show. If you look back at it, it was better than the show. Yeah. And then before that was the original Playmates yeah, obviously line. Obviously the original Playmates line. So going and, back to 2012. Yep. 2012, I was like, ooh, I'm a little skeptical of this. I'm not, I'm not, not feeling it. It looks a little, it looks just too different. Yeah. When I got those four first turtles and saw how poseable they were, how well mm-hmm. sculpted they were, how well they hold, held their, uh, their weapons. I was sold. I thought this was one of the coolest toy lines that had come out. It was affordable. The vehicles were really, really cool. They're very functional. The, the, I didn't like the first turtle van ish vehicle the 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 shell razor yep but then they came out with a turtle van that was a mix between the original cartoon turtle van and the van the like the volvo wet uh van that was driven in the first movie yep and the playset is amazing there there just was so much imagination and and thought put into this overall line that I, I felt that it was one of the most fun times to collect turtles and collect figures in general because when they finally caught up with the man and there were a ton of toys out there, there wasn't a time where I, I probably wasn't buying something from it. They were all very fun, all very cool. The accessories were amazing. You just didn't see stuff like that at the time, and it felt like it, it felt like the 80s again. It felt yeah like a proper toy aisle. In that yeah. section, you, I still remember going to Toys R Us and, th- and seeing, wow, they have a lot of space here. This feels like old school turtles. And that was great. Yeah, and, that was, was. and I'm really looking forward to figuring out where to put the five foot playset that I have somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But. But. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that that 2012 TMNT toy line and that show. I need to go back to that show. I watched like the first three and a half seasons of it. I watched up until the point where uh, Jason Biggs got replaced by Seth Green. And I've only, I think I've only seen like the first two or three episodes from season three. That show was awesome. I loved watching that show because it was, it was a different version of the turtle, obviously different style, different, whatever, but it was so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it just it it just had a, a nice energy to it, and most people liked it. There were a couple figures that just weren't as good as they could have been, but for the most part, it was exciting. And actually, I have one of my favorite toys from that of all time is a remote control vehicle that you could put two figures on. And I will always say, if you're going to do a branded remote control vehicle for a toy line, for an action figure line, 
you need to have those figures fit in the vehicle, whatever it is. So, for instance, right now there's a Mattel Jurassic Park, I, I think it's an Explorer or a Jeep or some sort of vehicle that you could fit the current Jurassic Park toys in. I was like, that's that's amazing. That's what you should do. There's a, a Buzz Lightyear movie remote control toy that you can fit three of the toys in. And this Ninja Turtle sort of, it's like a go-kart or like a some sort of buggy or something like that. Again, a very cool toy that they fit in. And that's what I like about a functional vehicle. Put the toy in. I don't want to drive that toy. Give me a controller so that I can move that toy where it needs to go. And it's a lot more fun. So, yeah, it just was it was just very, very, very well done. So another thing right around 2012 was my discovery of something that people had already known a lot about, but that was the Kane County Toy Show. Right. So this and, is when you this is from 2012 to today and ongoing toy shows and you found yep. Kane County. Yep. Yep. So I remember there was a point in my life where I was I'm going to go out to this toy show. I think this was maybe 2008. Yeah, I'm going to drive out and go see it. And it just it was a weird day and I ended up not going and I regretted it and kind of left it in the back of my mind. But when I started listening to Dave and Duvall on their podcast, they would talk about going to Kane out all the time. I'm like, I know Kane County. I used to go out there all the time. I, I know all about it. And so Mark and I went in 2012 and checked it out and it was amazing. And Mark and I had gone to so many conventions together that we had our style of exploring conventions down that we created a grid. We took notes. We knew where stuff was. We had our shopping list like, and we generally, we didn't spend a lot of, like, we didn't waste each other's time in a lot of booths. We generally went in. I knew what he was looking for. I knew what, what uh, he knew what I was looking for. So it was a lot more efficient. And I loved my first experience shopping there. And then I was talking to the guy who owns Dreamland Comics here in Libertyville. And he says he runs a booth out there. And I said, I'm looking to sell some stuff. I need some extra money. And he offered to share his booth with me, and he gave me a table. So after only shopping there, I think, for one or two shows, and this is where I found some of my uh, current carded digital figures that I have right now, where I got a bunch of those for really cheap, like five bucks. The comic shop owner, Charlie, who said, hey, you know, sell with me. So this was another great education in learning how to sell, because this guy grew up selling at flea markets and he knew the style and the methods and, and the skill behind it. And I learned a lot about selling from him, but I also did really well. I made a lot of money at this first show and I kind of got addicted to it. So the booth went from just one little table to eventually having three tables or four tables. And then my wife would help me or my stepdad and my mom would come and help me or Mark would come and help me. And it was a great way to be at the show and explore and experience the show, but also make money off of it, which is kind of one of those big things. Right. Yeah. So I did that for a couple of years and, you know, I was trying to buy stuff to sell. I was trying to buy inventory to flip and that'll get us to a, a later uh, bullet point coming up. But I get exhausted very quickly from the buying and selling grind, going out, buying stuff to resell modern toys, I will tell you my experience with buying modern toys in retail to try to resell at these shows rarely ever go. Rarely get money for them. 
So usually end up buying a bunch of stuff, hoping to sell it at the shop, then I have to go and return it anyway. Right, yeah. Service desk at Target. Or like, what is a tag that says four or five dollars on it? I'm like, oh, take that off, please. That that's not supposed to be on there. That was an accident. Um, so I I kind of got to the point of being burnt out to sell stuff. Now I still do and will sell. I probably am going to be uh, purging a lot of stuff this year, but I I generally don't like going out buying stuff to sell unless it's a complete coincidence that I'm at a garage sale or, or flea market or thrift store. And there's a huge box of toys to sell, you know, that is 10 bucks for this giant box. I'm not checking Facebook to go find stuff to resell anymore. It's just too exhausting. Yeah. But, but generally with these shows, the, the best part about them for me as a collector was networking and meeting new people and meeting store owners and meeting people who are regular dealers and making friendships. And now there are people that who are uh, there. There is this really nice guy named Nick out of Chicago who would buy for me frequently and just really, a really friendly, charismatic guy. I think he's like a track coach in Chicago and he, he does a really good program out there. He I see him at every show now and we know each other and we talk and we catch up. We see each other twice a year for about 20 minutes. That's it. But there's a lot of people like that. You meet at these shows that you make friendships with. And that's been some, the being around those dealers and those people and seeing them has actually become the best part about it. It's not even not even the toys being around the toys is a ton of fun, but being around all of these people I see on a semi-regular basis is great. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like you said, networking and all that good stuff. And that's, again, going back to like podcasting, same thing. One of the reasons why I I did not want our comic book podcast, The Pull Bag, to just be us discussing or reviewing or talking about comics. I wanted it to be more. And that's why The Pull Bag Origins in Comic Reading started. And then I expanded it to toys, to cartoons, to other things. Where I'm having, instead of reviewing every piece of media I've ever watched on a show, or instead of doing a review show of, say, GoBots or whatever, like, I love doing the whole camaraderie thing of bringing people on to ToyCast to ask them the 42 questions, or ToonCast for the cartoons, or the, you know, so yeah, you're right, absolutely, same thing, you know. It's not always about, yes, you want figures and whatever else, but you're right. The buying and selling aspect of toys is exhausting. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'm still planning on going this April uh, and mm-hmm. still planning to go this October if I can. And uh, it's it's just become such a nice little tradition. And now I'm mostly just helping out with um, Mike Tommaso's booth and, you know, his shop and you know, he's in, in kind of repayment. He lets me have one table worth of space, which is always great. I, I just don't know what I'm bringing up this year. I still have to plan for that. And that's going to be a whole nother stressful moment, but let's go ahead and move on. All right. Up next, we uh, are talking about 2014 and the five-year quest for TMNT figures from that 1990 Christmas episode we had over on Geekcast radio. So this will be relatively brief. We've talked about this a bunch of times. But yep. a couple of years ago, I discovered a family video of a 1990 Christmas where I got 
Space Cadet Raph, Samurai Leo, Undercover Don, and I think it's Sewer Surfer Mike yep. and Storage Shell Don. And my brothers and I got those for Christmas. And there was a toy show I was at where I got the Michelangelo for five bucks. Price tag is still on there. It I it was a five dollar box figure. I said, cool, I'm gonna buy it. And I should have bought the entire lot that was sitting there because I'd be sitting on a small fortune at this point. Yeah, but but hindsight being 2020, obviously. So what I decided to do at that point was because that's one of the few Christmases I can remember what I got from because there's video evidence of it. I was going to go buy the five figures we got that Christmas and I wanted them carted. And so pretty much it just I, I didn't want to get anything from eBay because prices varied so much. So I started slowly but surely just hunting down those five figures. And I I just decided it wasn't urgent. It wasn't a make it or break it type of thing. But I just started slowly but surely finding them at at shows and getting them for cheap. And I, I like doing that stuff now where I have a theme behind collecting. And I think that's where I'm probably going to go as long as I'm a collector moving forward is it's got to have a story behind it. It's got to have meaning behind it. It's not just, oh, I just want this next Marvel Legend figure. Is what is the connection I have to it? And those are the questions. So I've actually been out at stores and have found stuff. Oh, this is really cool. But I start asking myself, what is the connection I have to it? And if yep. I don't have it, it gets put away. Yeah, exactly. And that's like me currently. Uh, again, sorry to interrupt you, but. You know, if I don't have a connection to a character, I'm going to most likely get rid of it. Well, it's not even a connection to the character for the most part. It's also a, con- a connection, like if it's a vintage toy or modern toy, that's also a big part of it. So, I, I mean, it, it, which for me right now, because I've been able to semi-reclaim a lot of what I've collected when I was a kid or had a piece of it, there's not a lot left that, that I'm feeling I'm I'm hunting for. So it's actually making it more fun. Because I'm not thinking I need to buy everything. It's just, oh, let's just try to find something unique and cool that has a, that I have a connection to. And it, it makes hunting a little bit more focused. It's not as stressful. It's not as random and bizarre. So yeah. great example is that a buddy of mine, Brian, he lives in Lake Zurich. I, he's got an amazing basement display. And he, he bought a box of stuff off me a couple of years ago uh, before I changed my collecting habits. And he actually has a Kenner Terminator 2 figure of mine sitting in his display that I recognize because it, it's missing its arm from the elbow down. And I saw it and I was like, at first I was like, oh, I remember having a, a figure missing its arm like that. Didn't think it was mine. I pick it up. I take a closer look and it's got sticky tack on it. Okay. And I always put sticky tack on my toys growing up because it was the easiest accessory to do anything you wanted with. And it still had sticky tack in its crevices from when I was a kid. Oh, wow. And so I was like, oh, wow, that's that's one of mine. He's like, yeah, most likely is. He's like, I kept it because it was missing the arm and it looked cool because it was battle damage. And I asked him later on, I said, you know, I actually kind of want that. I kind of want that. Like, you know, that was mine when I was a kid and it's kind of meaningful to me. And I so I made him an offer of like to say, hey, I'll trade you this really cool Terminator 2 package figure that I have. Like, I'll trade it to you, um, you know, just to make it fair. And he actually said, 
you know, I know that right now you're switching to a lot of stuff that's more meaningful to you that has a good story behind it. So he's like, you can just have it and that's fine. And I, I was really appreciative of that. But wow. but that that sort of moment of saying, hey, I'm going to collect these five figures, not because I just want the series or because I want the figures is because they have like they're I, I look at them all the time when I'm in here. They're up above my closet door that I face at my computer. It's it's more of, hey, they just have this phenomenal story behind them and I can look at it and I don't need to watch the video. I can tell you the story behind how important these were when I was a kid. Yeah. And and so that that's that's where I'm switching to with with a lot of my collecting. And um, so it's. It, it's a lot more fun, but that, that's why that's important. So let's go ahead. We're going to jump to one of the craziest, craziest experiences I ever had. So the collector, 2015 estate sale. OK, so this is in the heat of when I was trying to become a toy dealer. Okay. Um, I was getting to be pretty well known as a, as a good dealer, as a, as a really nice, pleasant guy offering people good deals and stuff like that. So. Jason Duvall shoots me a message one evening. And says, hey, there's this really great estate sale right by you. And in the estate sale, there's, let's just say it's 10 carded original Kenner Star Wars figures. Okay. And a bunch of other really cool stuff. And he's like, you should go to it. And I'm like, eh, you know, I, I mean, it's cool, but it's something I need. And he said, no, 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 look, look at all the cool stuff in there. Like, why don't you just try going? And he recommended if you're going to go, if it's opening at, let's say it was seven, you need to be there at four. Yeah. Yeah. And it just so happened. My wife was working an overnight uh, camping trip through her job with mm-hmm. uh, she, she ran a, a summer camp and they, they finished a session of summer camp with an overnighter and I pretty much had nothing to do. And I was like, okay, let's go and do that. So I get up at three in the morning. I drive out to Vernon Hills and yep. it was a uh, nice little neighborhood. And I, I, I pull up to the house and I'm looking, I'm like, okay, this is cool. It's four in the morning. It's dark. I'm, I'm feeling a little weird and I'm sitting there and this guy comes up my window. He knocks on my window and I open it up and I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's the homeowner. I'm thinking it's security. I'm thinking it's a crackhead. I don't know who the hell this guy is. And he said, Oh, okay. So, Hey, so you're, you're here second. So we're, I'm, let me, what's your name? And I'm going to put you on the list that you're the second one here. And I was like, oh, OK. Wow. And I'm like writing my name on the list. I'm like, oh, do you run the, the estate sale? He's like, no, I was the first one here. And I'm like, wait, why do I have to respect your list that you were the first one here? And he said, well, that's just the way these things go. So, you know, if you don't want to respect that, I'll tell the, the guys who run it that, you know, you're trying to cut me. And I'm like, OK, that's that's a, this is a, a bit intense, but sure, whatever. So eventually when people start showing up, we get out of our cars and we're waiting in line up in front of the house and we're talking and we, I start asking and I start trying to get a sense of what everybody's after. The guy ahead of me just wants the star Wars figures. Oh boy. I would have considered those if I could get my hands on them. And if the price was right, I wasn't going to drop a ton of money on them. Right. But I knew that there was, in one of the pictures, and I, I have it down in the basement right now, a a wooden like toy chest. It's like a cube. It's about two by two by two. And it has a lid that you can clip off. And it was a Ninja Turtle toy chest. 
And in the picture, I saw it had the turtle blimp. It had a couple other things. So that's what I was kind of that, that was what I was going for. So what I told the other guys in line was, hey, guys, he only wants the Star Wars figures. He's being kind of a jerk. The other stuff, if I go and grab that box, I don't mind. You know, I'm second in line. I'll grab the box to make sure he doesn't get it because he's probably going to go for the Star Wars figures. We can go and take the box. I'll dig through what I want. If you guys want some stuff out of it later, that's fine. You know, I'll take what I want. You guys can take what you want. So we're all waiting in line. I watched this guy go over to one of the organizers for the estate sale, and he does. And I swear I saw him do this. The uh, the $20 in the palm handshake trick. Oh, Jesus, yes. So he had some amount of money in his hand. I couldn't see what it was. Shakes hand with the guy. See, I see them whisper to each other. And the funny thing about this is that they open the door and they say, everybody's got to take their shoes off. So all these adult men who are the first like 10 people in line, we go in, the, we have to step up into the door. We all take our shoes off. And the guy in front of me starts running for the basement where the toys are. And I'm right behind him. And I'm like, all right, if he's going to run, I'm going to run. I don't care about beating him. I'm just going to put some pressure on him because I'm not getting these figures. He gets down there. We get we get down there at the same time. I'm two steps behind him. He goes to the table where the 10 figures are, and he waves his hand over, and he says, I'm taking all of them. And there was already somebody standing next Uh-oh. to the table, not by any of the other toys. And there was some other valuable stuff down there. Yeah. So the guy he paid off was standing down there to make sure he got them. Oh. And so I grab the, the, the turtle box. I grab a couple other things. And I go and I check out and I tell the other guys, including this one guy who's a buddy of mine now, Eric, hey, I'm going to go out. I'm going to look through this. I'm going to pick out what I want. And then, you know, if you guys want some other stuff, that's fine. So we go out there and I just we just kind of dump the box out and right next to my car. And guys start digging through stuff and they're like, oh, what about this? What about this? You know, and I just want to make my money back. I made my money back selling stuff out of that box. I, I broke even just by showing up and I went home with this box and a couple of vehicles and some great accessories and I sold even more stuff out of there. I actually ended up selling probably about $200 worth of stuff out of that. So, it, and I'm still friends with the one guy from the estate sale. Now he's a really good dude. And it just, I, I have that one crazy story, but that's the other reason why I hate doing the hustle of trying to go to find product to sell. Yeah. And for me, it's not even about finding product to sell. It's about finding the things that I want. So you've talked in this podcast episode, and we've talked about this on the show for the last X number of years now, the toy hunt. I am done hunting. I have no, I know what I want. And I would much rather sit here in comfort in my apartment on my computer ordering it on whatever website I have to order it on. So I know I'm guaranteed to get it once I've purchased it. Yeah. At my, at 43 years old now, I have no interest. Recently, this is, this is recent because I'll probably release this episode soon, probably this week. Uh, This past weekend or a couple weekends ago, there was this Funko warehouse thing happening in, uh, uh, Buckeye, Arizona, where the the Funko warehouse was having this sale and all these, and there's video out there. I know Gaslecast and a few uh, a few other people have it. 
about the security guard telling the people in line, back up, do this, do that, and people shoving each other and this, that, and the other thing. And the same thing, like I said earlier in the, in the podcast now, where I was going after that bullseye. Yes, I was running through Target to get to the electronics department, but I was not, like, pushing people out of my way or anything like that. I was just trying to be the first one there. I ended up being the second one there, but I still got what I wanted to get. But I didn't, you know, didn't do stupid shit, didn't do inconsiderate stupid shit that might get me in trouble with security or the police or whatever. And it's like, they're just toys. Get the fuck over it, please. Like, it's not the end of the... It's not even first world problems to me. If you're going to be a child and not... Like, that's why I'm like, hunting? Screw that. I don't care anymore. I I would rather sit here. If I can get it online, I can get it online. If I can't get it online, oh well. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll have to miss out. That's okay. I don't... You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. It's just one of those things where it's so frustrating to just enjoy the hobby of going to a store because you had you and not everyone is like this not everyone is like those idiots that and not much happened at the funko thing in arizona but a few things but it's like you know i would say 75 percent of the toy collecting community is our sane you know respectable kind of it's just that other 25 percent that just make it horrible for the rest of us because they want to be babies about it if they don't get it they don't get it it's like sorry about your luck you know i don't know man it just yeah it's just one of those things that just makes me so mad and it makes me to the point where like i said i'm too goddamn old to hunt for a toy if i can get it on Funko's website or my buddy Wes's website, poppingofftoys.com or, or eBay or Macari or whatever. Like I would rather know that I have the thing versus having to dig through a shelf in a store and the employee may or may not even know what the hell I'm looking. You know what I mean? Like the, I'm yeah, so I, over hunting at this point in my life, but back then at the, at this awesome estate sale and whatever else, it must've been really cool. Yeah, and I, I think where I'm entering now in my life is that I don't I, – I would rather hunt knowing that I don't have anything to lose and it's just more fun. It, going to a flea market or going to an antique mall or something like that just a little bit over time I think is just, – just, just to see what they have, see what I can find and not trying to hunt something. It, it's more about – are you looking for the experience? Are you looking for the desire for something? And I'm more of wanting to shift to looking for just the experience and just see what see what turns up, see what magical thing shows up when I randomly check something every now and then. I'm not I'm not really there for the stress of collecting anymore because it's just not it's not worth it. And it's what it makes a lot of people angry. And they put YouTube shows up that are all about being angry. So let's go ahead and move on. Speaking of questing for things and trying to find things. So 2015 was a big year because it was the year of the Megazords for me. Yep. It was it was the year where a lot of things came together and I finalized finalized getting the original Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the Thunder Megazord, getting the Tiger Zord. I, I, I managed a lot to finish all of those in the same year. And it wasn't because I was trying, it just you know, opportunity pops up, took it, got it. So 
uh, as a kid, the only Zord I had was the Dragon Zord. And the Dragon Zord by itself is an amazing toy and it's an amazing piece, but it's designed to go with the Megazord. But that was very hard to find and I never got it as a kid. But I did get the Thunder Megazord, but I never got the White Tiger Zord. So it's really funny that in the two Power Rangers iterations that I was really a big fan of, mm-hmm. I had the Zord that belonged to Tommy in the first series, which was the Dragon Zord, but I didn't have the main Megazord. Right. Then later on, I get the Thunder Zord which is, you know, the five crazy ones. But yep. I didn't get the Zord that the white Zord, the Tiger Zord. The Tiger Zord, yeah. Belonged to Tommy. So it was like kind of an inverse situation. And uh, I just had, I, I can't remember where I got the white Tiger Zord. I think I got it at a flea market or at a toy show or something. It was missing a couple parts and I got the parts through a lot of toys that I bought. And I was able to complete them. And... The same goes with the Megazord is that uh, the guy who Charlie, who runs Dreamland, got it in a lot of toys. He offered me a good deal on it. And I said, I got to take it because I've never had it. So I finally got it almost 20 years later. I almost got it finally finished. Took me about 20 years to finally get that. So I I have what I feel is as complete, if not the most complete for me, Power Rangers collection that has not only a ton of stuff that I had originally when I was a kid, but also some stuff that I was able to get later on. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just, it was just funny that it took me almost 20 years. We're talking about a 20 year show, but it took me 20 years to finally get, if not 21 years to finally get the, the completed Megazord. So yeah. not much to mention about that. Just a kind of a big moment of coming full circle from when I was a kid of never being able to get that original Megazord. Yeah. Wanting it so badly and only playing with it from with a friend of mine maybe twice. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. So I never had the original Megazord or the Dragon Zord or anything like that. But in 1995, when the movie came out, there's a picture of me somewhere. I forget where it is, but there's a picture of me where I'm holding something in my hand and I'm looking at it. I'm not looking at the camera because I was looking at the toy. In 1995, I was 15 years old. Power Rangers was still a big thing. As you mentioned, Tommy. Oh, God, Jason David Frank. I hope you're resting well up there, sir. God damn it. Um, but, you know, it was all about Tommy and the White Ranger and the, the, the Tiger Zord, like you said. But then the movie hits, and we have the Ninja Falcon Zord. And this picture is me holding the Ninja Falcon Zord in my hand, and I'm just like dead eye stare. I like I, don't, I could care less what's going on around me. Uh, there could be a volcano behind me, and nothing is going to unfixate my gaze on this toy. And to tie into this, as later in life I got into Funko and and all of that, there ended up being I believe it's a six inch version. Yeah. There is a six-inch version of the robot. The robot part, uh, the once uh, Tiger Zord transforms there, once he he goes into his little little robot mode, there they did a a Funko Pop of that. I just sent you that picture in Skype, uh, and I have that. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's still in storage, but man. Anything to do with Tommy Oliver, I absolutely love because JDF was an amazing person, and yeah, that guy yeah. rules. I, I and I was a major fan of his. I 
when I was a, a young lad, Green Ranger was everything for me. And I, I probably brought this up on a, a previous podcast where I went to a Japanese superstore, big supermarket that had a toy shop and everything. And I saw the before Bandai came out with it, the Green Ranger. And I was like, oh, there's no such thing as a Green Ranger. There's no Green Ranger in, in the show right now. But there was. I just saw a Japanese version of it. Probably at that point, he was probably 10, 15 years old as a character went in Power Rangers lore. But I saw it and I was so excited. And when it when it, I went back to school, I told my friends, there's a Green Ranger, guys. There's a Green Ranger. They're like, you're you're full of it. You, you're you're a liar. Get the hell out of here. And then there was a Green Ranger and he was my guy. I wore green. I had I made a cardboard morpher for myself. He was my jam. So uh, I'm I'm gonna keep pushing pushing the gas down. We're gonna move on to one but of the last wait. Points. Oh, go ahead. But wait, there's more. There is. <laughs> you said you dressed like him. You had the the Green Ranger, you know, whatever. Oh yeah. When he switched over to being the White Ranger, never do this, kids. Make sure your parents never let you buy white jeans. Because I had white, I had white, once he went to the, I had white everything. So we are going to take a quick break, because I'm sure I'm probably going to have to insert some ads or something here. And then we want everyone to keep their scanners peeled as we talk about another amazing event from 2015 to the current day. We'll be right back, right after this. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, all. P.R. here, inviting you to come over and check out my channel on YouTube. It's just YouTube.com slash P.R. P-E-A-U-G-H. We got Transformers uh, for the most part. We got some action figures. Whatever we really strikes my fancy and looks cool and uh, feel like checking out. So come over here. We got some tabletop gaming now over there. But, uh... Just a lot of fun. Uh, thank you all for watching. I hope uh, everybody's having a great time. And uh, just come over and have some fun. YouTube.com slash PR. Thanks. Hey, it's Wes from Poppin' Off Toys. Wanted to let you know about PoppinOffToys.com. We can be your number one source for Funko collectible figures to add to your ever-growing collection. If you're in Nashville, Tennessee, we actually have a retail store that you can come by, 5916 Charlotte Pike. And for the rest of us, PoppinOffToys.com is always open, and you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. And the name is just simply popping off toys thank you so much and always keep it popping can keep your scanner peeled yes michael ah oh, night rider you gotta love it 
<laughs> but you've never seen it, you bastard. I'm working on it. Yes, we have to get back to that. So anyway, Hoff and the Kit Quest. So I know we've covered this in the past. I'll do a, a quick brief overview. So my friend Mark and I are driving down to uh, Bloomington Normal from Gurney. He was visiting. He had moved to Florida. He flew back up. He wanted to go back to Bloomington Normal to load up some stuff to ship back to his new place down in Florida. So we're on our way down, and on the way down, we found this tiny little flea market right off the Interstate 55. And we're walking around. They have a couple of random toys. You know, most most of the times you go to these flea markets, they're just – a ton of dirty toys and broken stuff and nothing special. And there was a guy who had a trailer outside of the flea market and he had just emptied out a, uh, a storage locker that he had paid for and he had a box of toys and I started going through it and I, I had asked him like, Hey, how much you want on this? And it was all vintage stuff, all stuff straight out of the eighties. Like probably was in a bin for the last 20 years and probably was in a toy box before that. And he said, Oh, you know, I don't know, like, you know, I'm thinking three bucks a piece. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm digging through and I start seeing stuff in there and I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is kind of worth it. This is not something that I should just buy two or three toys out of. This is worth buying the entire box. I look at him, how much you want for the entire box? And he said 50 bucks and Mark being cautious and and being a good friend was like, I, I, that doesn't sound like a good price. And I'm looking at, I'm looking in the box, I'm looking at Mark and I'm looking in and I'm like, no, 50 bucks is a good price. So I gave him 50 bucks. So we, we get the box and we drive down and Mark was getting first thing Mark wanted to do when he he got back into town because he loved Bloomington normal and he still does. He was a huge fan of his usual haunts when he was down there. And he wanted to get a haircut from the same gal who cut his hair almost every year. He lived there for about eight years. And so while he was getting the haircut, I mean, what am I supposed to do? So I'm sitting in the parking lot and I emptied out the, the tub of toys in the parking lot and I'm going through it and there was a lot of good stuff. He man, I know was in there. There's, I I don't remember everything and I wish I had more pictures of it, (laughs) but we're looking at it and I find what I knew was a characteristic counter figure of the time, five points of articulation simple sculpt and I'm and I couldn't quite place it. I'm thinking of what it was and I wasn't really well aware of David Hasselhoff at the time and I wasn't aware of Knight Rider, but I'm looking at it and I look on his belt buckle and it's like a K and an R together. And I'm thinking, what would a K and an R be? And I'm thinking carefully, really trying to figure out what it is. I'm like, Oh, this is David Hasselhoff. And he was just recently in the news uh, because of the, the hamburger incident, which is the, the genesis of my floor burger name. Yes. And I was so excited for it because, Oh, this is fun. This is, this is silly. This is great. Like this, this is so wonderful. So I got down to my brother where I was staying and I went and looked through the entire bin. I'm like, Oh, this is, you know, this is so great. And I started having fun with David Hasselhoff. I started doing funny things where it looked like he was drinking too much or he was being silly or just ridiculous. And it was just so much fun. Now, I didn't really think of, oh, I want to go get the car now. There was never really a, a point in my life where I was like, I want to go get the the car and track all this down. It really wasn't my motivation at that point i right. just had this really funny figure he started traveling with me started doing a bunch of random stuff 
and I posted pictures of them. And Dave Draper, Dave, blah, 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 blah. Dave. <laughs> Dave. It's like he's here. <laughs> we will say Dave Draper. Um, no, Dave Draper <laughs> gave me the name Forberger, and I just decided I'm going to own it. That's fine. I'm going to take that. That's fine with me because I also have a history, and you can ask Mark about this, where I have – there was one night we were at Disney – and we were a couple of Disney cocktails in, oh, and yeah. I dropped my favorite pulled pork sandwich on the floor twice. Oh, no. The first time I dropped it, uh, I, I went and asked for, for a replacement. So I sat down. I, I put it all back together in the box that I had it in and, and took it back to my – or no, I gave it back to him. Second time I got it, I was so excited. And this is a brand new one. And I dropped it on the floor again. And I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to eat it because they're never going to believe I dropped it twice. <laughs> and so I already had a history of eating stuff off the floor, especially sandwiches. So it just worked. And time goes on. And my mom gets me another Michael Knight figure. And really unexpected out of nowhere. But I was like, this is great. I have two now. So the one my mom got me was the one that was supposed to be the one that stayed home. And the one that I got myself was the one that would travel with me. So that way, if I lost it, the one my mom got me would be more sentimental and it would stay. So eventually, I think I got another one at a toy show. I think I found another one for Draper, gave it to him as a gift. Ironically, uh, or I get, or it was Das. Maybe I think I gave it to Das. And my mom also got me the the Baywatch David Hasselhoff figure that's out there that I think was in the Barbie line. Yep. And she also got another one, which after she passed, I got that when I took it back home with me. It's now sitting. I I have two of them, and one of them is sitting up on my random shelf with the rest of my pops, including that Lilu pop you're telling me about. And so Lilu, the Lilu pop from oh! Multi-pass. Got it. Yes. yes. So I decided it would be more funny to not spend the $200 or whatever on getting the kit car and just finding another car he could fit in. So David Hasselhoff, Knight Rider, would drive in every other car from Ghostbusters to the Batmobile to Jurassic Park. Whatever I could fit him in, that's what he rode in. Until And you can link to the podcast where I, I mention where I go over the story of finding it at the flea market. But I randomly this past summer, just a year ago, find the car at the flea market. Complete. The car he found, folks, just a quick recap, is the complete 1982 or 83 Kenner Knight Rider voice card. The kit, the Knight 2000. Yeah. And without I, I had given up on finding it at that point. I didn't care. It wasn't like something I really wanted. I didn't really care to find it. I actually liked the fact that he was driving in the gold Cadillac from last action hero more than, than kit. I just thought it was funnier. I just, I appreciated the humor behind that because he just looked like this like crazy drunken person driving in this gold Cadillac. And just to find it was such a huge moment because I, you don't really have finds that are that meaningful over that much time. I mean, we're talking about seven years here of having this figure of not really ever, thinking I would ever find it. To, it just was this massive moment that you don't get in collecting, right? And bringing it back full circle, you know, I, 
you <laughs> obviously have been a huge fan of Knight Rider and Kit your whole life. You have between the two of us, you're the only one who has a picture with with uh, David Hasselhoff. And so it's funny. Yes, I have a picture with David Hasselhoff. And most people will find this really creepy, I guess. I don't know why I don't. I also have a autographed, like, it's not silhouette, but, like, self-portrait. You know how, like, in the old days, you if you liked a radio, like, if you liked a morning show DJ, just whatever your local town, like, mine was uh, Peter B. or Jane Norris or whatever it is. You could go to the radio station and you could get a signed like eight by 10 or whatever picture of that radio DJ kind of thing. So when I met him in 1986 and I had that picture taken along with having the picture taken of me sitting in kit, I also got this framed like self portrait signed of him as well. So, yeah. Anyway. See, yeah. And so you know, you kept alluding to me having some sort of dark voyage on its way. And no, 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 no. Okay, so the people. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Let me fin- no. Let me finish the story from my perspective, and then okay, you can explain. All right, all right, all right. So, you know, we're just a little bit after Christmas, and 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 you were doing your best to kind of support me as I, my whole world had had changed suddenly, of you know my mom passing away very suddenly, and you know she was someone who really supported me in the in the Michael Knight thing, as you know, as much as we've talked about it, you know, she's pretty instrumental in me having a couple David Hasselhoffs, you know, and she, she loved it. And she always joked about, you know, the Hoff and everything with me and, and loved it. And so you start telling me, you know, Oh, you have a, a dark voyage on its way or whatever, whatever we were talking so, about. Well, hold, okay. on, hold on. So I'm, I'm humorously thinking that, you know, you, uh, you know, I, I'm saying this completely like, ironically like sarcastically you're you're, you're incorrectly saying what i told you is what you're doing a dark trip or what was it no 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 see this is why you need to let me tell so okay 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 yes first of all i've lost the two most important women in my life since 2015 my mom passed away in 2015 that pain was immense and intense and everything else and once I met Karen in 2017 and we had the life that we had for the four and a half years we had together, my mom's, the, de- the death of my mom was still painful, but it wasn't as painful because I had this new beginning of love and yada, 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 and all this and all that and everything else. Karen unexpectedly dies in 2021. So the loss of your mother, I completely understand where you are coming from because I've gone through it myself. Yeah. And all the times we've talked, whether it's on these podcast episodes or whether it's off air or whatever, because sometimes we will end up talking for about an hour before we hit record, folks. I asked you at one point, okay, you like the Huff, you like, you kind of like Kit, you like, you know, Michael Knight, you, you, you like his characters, you like him. Have you ever seen Knight Rider? And you're like, no, I've never seen it. And I'm like, okay. Let me know when you have some time. I am going to take you on a shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. Night Rider, a shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. 
Oh, shadowy flight. Okay, that's how I described it. I was saying Dark Voyage. I don't know why. No, no, this is not Star Trek. So a shadowy flight into into the world of a man who does not exist is part of Knight Rider's tagline. And that's what they always use to promote the show and everything else. And at some point, we are going to sit down and I'm going to screen share with you or however the hell we're going to do it. And we are going to watch at least the pilot of Knight Rider together so you can see where all of this comes from. Yeah, and... You know, I, I, I think the the irony to me, and I, maybe I use that term incorrectly or whatever, but I think where I sort of get into it a little bit more is, you know, in our little toy community, our tiny little toy community, I actually became well known for being a fan of the Hoff, yet I had never seen an episode. And that being the comedy behind it is what kind of kept me going. But uh, so it, it, it's there. It, there's always going to be the possibility of me having a ton of other moments I'm missing or forgetting, but those are the ones that I can remember. My brain doesn't work the way it used to. Yep. And I'm hoping as I continue on this mission to collect and make sure what I collect is meaningful and memorable and has a, a connection to me that maybe more stuff will pop into my brain. And I think uh, one of the biggest moments, and I'm going to try not to get emotional as I go through this, just because I, I talk a little bit better, but is my mom had come up in September and this is before the hurricanes hit uh, Fort Myers. And for anyone who's wondering the, she wasn't, the hurricane wasn't what caused her death. It was an, an illness, a mystery illness she picked up afterwards that she just couldn't overcome. And so she had come up to visit before the hurricanes hit around September 11th, 12th, 13th, somewhere around there. And it was the first time she was visiting Illinois since she had moved prior to that. So it was about two years, just, just shy of two years that she was visiting for the first time. And she hadn't really seen her house finished before she moved as far as finished, meaning like furnished and decorated and to kind of the point we wanted it to be. So it was really an exciting moment for me because she was coming to stay with me. And we had uh, initially she was coming up to go to my cousin's wedding. Because she had even said, she's like, I don't know when I'll see these people again. And that, and that was kind of one of those moments that kind of gets you, you know, when you think back to it. Yeah. Where she said, this might be my last chance to see some of the people who are going to be at this wedding. Yeah. And unfortunately, in the days leading up to the wedding, her godson, my cousin, passed away. Oh, and man. so, you know, it, it gave a very different meaning to that whole wedding uh, and that whole weekend of her coming up was – you know, she came up Friday and my wife was out of town. So it was just me and my mom and we got to cook for her and it was really fun. And, you know, I wanted to show her the blue room because, you know, she knew that was such a big part for me. But unfortunately, I had a very crazy week leading up to that and I didn't get a chance to straighten it out. And um, it's always perpetually in transition. So it's always kind of a mess because I'm always rearranging, moving stuff and I start it and then leave right. it. It's a mess. So. Uh, so Friday she comes up, you know, and we hang out down at the bar and we grill, we cook the next day we get ready. We go to the, we go to the wedding. Um, and she was in as about as good health, as good as health as she could have been at that time. She still had her chronic illness, but it wasn't, that's a whole nother podcast maybe to talk about one day when I get more information, but we, we go to the wedding and then the next day, uh, my mom, uh, my wife comes home. And I have to go take care of some stuff at work because of the funeral now. 
being Monday, I had to go arrange, make arrangements to be out of work that day. So I went into work for, you know, about an hour or two and then came home and I was like, Ma, I really want to show you the blue room. And she's like, okay, but I'm like, it's kind of a mess. So give me about an hour. So I raced upstairs. I straightened up the room, cleaned it up probably, you know, super quick and got to bring her up. And I don't know if this is number 20 or 21 or whatever, but it doesn't matter. And this is it, the room was about as close as it probably would ever be to completion that obviously now that she would ever see. But uh, because I've just been waiting for us to put in new flooring, I never finished all my displays. But right. it was clean enough that she could walk around and see it and check things out. And I was able to go and explain so much to her and point things out. And, you know, we would talk about whether or not she remembered getting me some of these things because there's so much in here that is from that she had originally bought for me or I rebought and it was something that she had got for me. And it was uh, my wife said she heard a lot of our conversation about me talking about, you know, like, like I could point to a shelf right now and, and tell stories about, you know, like there's a Kenner aliens figure, this guy Drake, who was my favorite figure from that entire series growing up and how he wound up outside and I found him, tied up by a bunch of pumpkin vines by the garden one year. Like, don't know how he got there, but he was all tied up by that. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that I have the Chuck Norris Karate Commandos figure line, I have a bunch of figures from that, and how I know there were three variations of Chuck Norris, and I could tell you which variation was belonged to each of me and my brothers. Like, we each had one, and I know which one was mine, I know which one was my, and which one belonged to my other two brothers. And the food fighters. And I could tell her all these stories about where stuff came from, like the the bots master jungle fiver and how that was something she got for me when we went out to the Kenosha outlet mall when she was taking me on a trip to just sort of, you know, just mother son sort of bonding trip to get me out of the house. And, you know, there there's just so many different things I was able to tell her stories about uh, and how important it was to me that she was in there at that time. Right. Uh, yeah. Now, granted, if she didn't pass, you know, would I have thought much of that moment at the time, you know, I it was just like, Oh, cool. You know, she'll probably be up in, you know, probably next summer. Cause she wasn't, she said she'd never come up during the winter because of her health, but you know, she'd probably come up next summer. And, you know, so I didn't really think anything of it. And I was hoping we'd have the flooring done by then. So the room would be done. But, um, you know, we, we had a very long conversation about everything in, in here. And it, uh, my wife had even said, she's like, it really sounds like what you need to do is focus more on collecting what is meaningful and what you have a connection to, not just like the newest Wolverine or something. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with her because here's the thing. Like, I currently, there are some still in storage at my dad's, but my cousin's went down to my dad's and brought up my desk and a lot of other things and basically pretty much all of the Funko Pops that I had in collection in, in storage at my dad's. And the thing is, I use the Funko app to just keep track of what I have. I don't use it for value or anything, like whatever they're worth or whatever. I just use it to make sure I know what I have. And I have close to 300 Funko Pops. Now, that is a lot. However... A lot of them are characters I love. A lot of them are characters that mean something to me. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not going to go out and hunt down the entire Game of Thrones Funko Pop line because I have only ever seen 15 minutes of Game of Thrones season one, episode one. And all they did was fucking walk. I was bored as hell. So I'm not a Game of Thrones fan and that's fine. But my point is, that's how I've approached collecting for the longest time is that I only go after things that actually either characters I love, which apparently I love a lot of characters and, you know, things that I actually want. I'm not here to have every, like, I'm not going to buy a character or a figure that I don't even like. Yeah. And, you know, it's not even just, it's not even just about like preference now. It's, Mm-hmm. whether or not I continue collecting, you know, wide scale, like I'm running out of space. <laughs> it, it's well, more, you know, those water world toys take up a lot of space. So, uh, I'll send you a picture. Eventually you'll understand that you're right. I know so, I'm right. Hello. <laughs> but I, you know, whether or not, like I, I'm looking through a lot of stuff now and you know, how much am I going to keep? What am I going to hang on to? How much more can I get? And, what it really is going to come down to is if this is like my effort of having my entire history isn't toys. My mom's history isn't just toys, but what, what if 20 years of collecting has kind of taught me anything is that it's not so much what you have. It's well, okay. It's not so much what I have. Everybody varies and everybody differs in your collecting preferences. But it's not so much what I have. It's what is the story behind it and why is it there? Why do I have a packaged Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, uh, Aragorn from the last scene where he's in his like king gear and stuff like that? I have a story for that that one day I'll have to tell you now right now because we've been running on forever. But yeah, it's why do I have that one in the package? Why do I have it loose? Why do I have the Muppets? You know, the Muppets, it was one of my mom's favorite collections, one of my wife's favorite collections. Why do I have? So I'm, I'm really trying to make sure that the things that I have right now aren't just things that there's yeah. a story with them. And and that's where I, that's what I'm getting to. And that's what I'm focusing on. And it, it's making my brain work a little bit better. So there's. I could probably continue to go on to talk more about lessons I've learned in 20 years of collecting, or I could go on. Yes, to talk well, more. that that could be another episode. For right yeah. now, we're going to take a quick ad break because, like you said, long podcast, but it is your history. The last totally tubular 20 years of toy collecting with Josh the Floorburger. We'll be right back to close the show after this. The Pull Bag is GCRN's comic book review and discussion-based podcast. Join me, TFG and Mike, and the rest of the GCRN crew as we discuss the comics we are reading right now. Inside The Pull Bag, you'll also find the origins of how guests got into or out of reading comics, After Dark discussions, and so much more. You can find The Pull Bag every Wednesday, which is New Comic Book Day, only on geekcastradio.com and on anywhere you consume your podcasts. Make your greatest game into comics and jump into the pull bag today. We are back here on Toycast episode 170, and folks, we are on the road to 200 episodes. In the 180s, we are going to have most likely the top 100 toys countdown, the GCRN's top 100 toys countdown is coming 
this summer. So that's what's coming up for us. Josh, do you have any totally tubular toy thoughts for 2023 and beyond? Again, I'm not going to try to match that alliteration. Uh, (laughs) However, I do it all without chat GPT, just to let everybody know. Anytime you hear me alliterate, that's me on the spot. I I ain't got no need for no artificial intelligence. Well, you let me know when you get into the next alliteration rap battle, and I'll be there for it. <laughs> but I, I guess the one of the big takeaways as far as saying I've been a collector for 20 years is I'm not the same person at all that I was 20 years ago, nor, nor should anybody ever be the same person they were 20 years prior. But right. I think being open to the fact that when you are collecting today, tomorrow, next week, if you're going to be collecting or doing anything for two decades, know that you're going to change. You might not still have that thing 20 years later. I had almost every Marvel Legends figure ever made. Mm-hmm. I think there was only a small handful that I didn't have. Of that original collection, I maybe have two, <laughs> like oh, wow. one or two. You know, and and that was in the process of of going through. Now, Marvel Legends is is maybe a little bit of a a phenomenon because they've updated, they've redone a lot of the figures in better, more modern styles. They look better. And you don't necessarily have that with something like Food Fighters. They never re-release those. So it's not like, oh, I'm buying a substitute or replacement. But it's I even when I think back to collecting in college, which made up half this list, that that was only four years of the twenty years of this. And mm-hmm. sometimes when you are collecting longer, you have to remember to keep certain things, you know, into a level of significance. Don't let stuff just become blurry and and get away from you. And yeah. don't let stuff happen. Because yeah, absolutely. Go away in a blink of an eye. Yeah. For years. Yeah. I figured that I had for I, w- I I should check the the date stamp on him, but I've had him for close to twenty years right now, and he's probably still one of the best Superman figures that ever came out. But I you know I also have a variety of other things that have come and gone over time, and um it. it Try to don't change everything you're doing. Just try to remember that this is supposed to be an adventure. It's supposed to be an experience. It's supposed to be something that brings you joy. That's fun. That doesn't work against you. That doesn't create pain and stress in your life because then it's not a hobby. It's a burden. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where, like I said, I know everyone has different collecting habits and whatever else, and everyone displays their toys differently, obviously, because not everyone is the same autonomous robot or anything like that. But I approach it as, okay, like right now, I only – and it's only because of the cost of the damn thing. As far as Funko items between the pops and the sodas, I have – Every single version of Batman Beyond, of Terry McGinnis' Batman Beyond, except for one. And that one is the Fugitive Toys Red Eyes exclusive because that figure is worth over $300. I will probably never have that, uh, which is fine. I love the Batman Beyond characters that I have so far and everything else. You know, TMNT, I'm doing something really interesting with TMNT that I'll talk about next time, but... uh, 
because yeah, that's that's gonna be fun. So, folks, this has been Josh the Floorburger's uh, top twenty toy talk topics of the last twenty years. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Any other things you want to say before I run through the closing, sir? I just feel old. That's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that, you know, I'm looking at some figures on my shelf right now, like the original Beast Wars figures that survived that initial purchase mm-hmm. that are getting a legacy throwback now. Yep. And at the time, they were just shy of 10 years old when I bought them, probably like five, six years at that point, maybe a little mm-hmm. less than that. And now it's, oh, it's a legacy throwback as if it's, when I was first collecting and, oh, we're going to re-release G1 Optimus Prime because it's a throwback. You know, oh, how charming and magical. Now the stuff that was even a throwback when I was getting it is getting the throwback treatment. It's just a redundant throwback experience. Yes. So, yeah, I feel old. Yeah. We all feel old, folks. Getting too old for this shit. Thank you for joining us here on ToyCast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or leave feedback for the show, there's several ways to do so. Visit the website geekcastradio.com where you can listen to and comment on all of our content. Send any email to feedback at geekcastradio.com. Just put ToyCast episode 170 or whatever in the show in the uh, in the subject line. Here are all the ways you can listen to us nowadays. Apple and Google Podcasts, leave us reviews, please. Spotify and any other podcasting client you choose to use. I prefer Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at GeekCastRadio for the network at TFToyCast for the show. I am at TFG1Mike. He is at FloorBurger553 if you'd like to follow him. Become a fan on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash GeekCastRadio Network. And you can also search out ToyCast or TFToyCast over there as well. Next time on ToyCast... I think we're going to take it back to basics and either have an Origins or a display case. And then I know episode 172 and 173 are going to be Origins as well. I'm not going to reveal who those Origins are going to be, but they're going to be fun as they always are. For now, I am TFU and Mike with... Josh the Floorburger, the old man in the room. Um, no. In Sunny? my room right now. Well... Maybe, because, well, I don't know how cat ears work. Do they work like dog ears? Anyway, join us next time when we'll be talking more toys here on ToyCast. Bye. The things I'm forced to put up with.